This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking Detroit. Trouble. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abraham! Hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back to other film movie topics. This is episode 295. 295. 295, the press gasoline at some places right now. <laughs> okay. Right? Could be, yeah. Seems plausible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, in honor of 295, this week we are discussing Detroit, the latest film from director Catherine Bigelow. And joining us tonight to discuss Detroit, we have from Movies Marcus, he's still searching for Neptune's trident to help destroy the dark box office tower. It's Marcus Robinson. Hello. The dark box office tower? I like that. By the way, Marcus, we were kind of preliminary writing numbers. Might not look great. Oh yeah, I, I threw uh, I threw that I printed out that worksheet, the Excel spreadsheet. Uh, uh, I, I threw it away the next day. So. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> Don't worry, you you might be in last place, but you might also not be in last place. We're not sure yet. And inflicting film studies on students at Cal State Fullerton, he's no longer staying at the Algiers. It's Professor Mike Dillon. Uh, Mike, Marcus, how are you both doing tonight? Wonderful. Wonderful <laughs> myself. Hello, Marcus. Hello, Mike. Always good to make new connections <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that witty banner. <laughs> Got me back on the show. <laughs> but first Mark- time, first time uh, guests together, so, you know. Marcus, oh, yeah. you know there's one reason I have you on the show today. Oh yeah, <laughs> this is this is what I, I tried to avoid it. You know, no, you see, but, uh, like Mark, like I've been trying to get you back on the podcast for weeks, but you've been on you've been like living it up in the in New Hampshire. You've been out on vacation. You've been doing. All I don't know what else. you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I I bookmarked this specific date on my calendar because I said, oh, so here we go, Mike. What what I'm referring, Marcus tends to be on episodes where we're talking about black movies. <laughs> Yeah, it, it just kind of worked happened. out that way. It died. I I want. I I asked. I asked you multiple times. You sent me texts like I'm still out or I'm gone for a week or what. And I'm like trying to get you back on the show. And it just all led to this. It all led to the ultimate black movie of 2017. <laughs> I mean, I mean, kidnap with Halle Berry, of course. So. Yeah, exactly. Kidnap with Halle Berry. Which this week's crazy that. for black movies. He's yeah. got the Dark Tower, Kidnap, and this in Detroit all in the same weekend opening. I know. I knew this was this was gonna happen. It's the Bermuda Triangle of Marcus and Black movies on yeah. the podcast. The Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> oh, no, it's one it's triangle Marcus of Marcus's emoji symbol in the middle of it. It's great. That means I won't be ba- black and or I won't be black. I won't be back until Black Panther. I've 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 commented that you just uh, for whatever reason I keep coming back on to talk about movies that have been mired in controversy it seems that way right? yes <laughs> it seems that way too yeah we either had you or, on. that's all good yeah we had you on for don't like, worry for, 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 one in the same we had you on for, go, that, for ghost. for like a non like you know non-controversial movie we're gonna get you on for like the most, i don't know the most slight inconsequential film we can think of yes, to get yeah yeah like the most super innocent movie and marcus is still gonna be able to be like i can't make it <laughs> all right 
there's Helen a Mirren plays a, chess or something. There's a My Little Pony movie coming out. There I think you go. October. Oh, but watch, oh, watch with that, that's, that screams con- that screams yeah. controversy though. My Little Pony. I don't know. <laughs> I would get Brody's. It's gonna be weird. Well, what are we? Let's get. Let's get into the. Let's get into the show. As I we're doing. Probably still find some really obnoxious like gender political angle to like deconstruct that film. <laughs> well, so yeah, we're talking Detroit tonight. That's the play for this episode. Let's get to some show note stuff real quick. Um, new commentary track. It's on the way. It is a new month, which means we'll do a new commentary, and uh, we have some ideas what we want to do, uh, and we'll, we'll see how that pans out right now. Some fun ideas, yeah. We got some fun ideas. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll confirm for sure. We'll, we'll figure it out. But yeah, new new one's coming. Um, what else? Speaking of bonus episodes, um, my mom and I did a super awesome bonus episode where we talked about Get Out um, from earlier this year. Uh, we record. Yeah. She she gave me a text that said, "I I saw Get Out and I have questions." So I immediately said, "Mom, <laughs> we're gonna do the podcast. Don't ask me them yeah. right now." And that's what an happened. extended mom's movie minute. Yes. So there's a there's a good bonus episode featuring my mom and I talking about Get Out, and it's a lot of fun. I thought I was gonna be on that episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark Marcus Why wasn't I on that episode? <laughs> you were on vacation. Exactly. Okay. You were on vacation. But yeah, and that's, girls' night. That's it, girls' night. <laughs> One. Girls trip. You just, like you just blended. Trip. You just yeah. That's the that's the sequel of Rough Night yeah. and Girls Trip, where they're oh, in the same cinematic trip. universe. Good <laughs> job, Marcus. Uh, I bookmark all the black movies. <laughs> but yes, that that episode featured my mom and I. That's up on iTunes now. You can find that. Um, what else? Oh, I guess we should end this. Abe. Our our banner contest. Because uh, we banner reached... contest. Yeah, thank you for the submissions. Yeah, we got a few. We got a few good submissions and. Um, good. And I'll I'll just say we have a winner. Um, it is Dennis Pooh. Uh, he submitted an awesome uh, banner uh, that courtesy of his own child who, who drew us yeah. a hand drawn very awesome banner. Um, and it is super awesome. I love it a lot. Thank you, Dennis, for that. Congratulations on your win. Yeah, you 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 get to win our the copy of a uh, Kong Skull Island on Blu-ray along with some other stuff that I'll put into a box. And I'll ship that over to you. We'll uh, we'll email you, of course, or let you know what's going on. Yes, yeah. If you listen to we'll this reach episode, reach out to you for some contact details. But yeah, if you're listening to this episode, you're like in an office or like at the gym or something right now. Just raise your hands and go like yes, and be super happy because you, you just won a prize. So there you go. Ten second dance party. Ten second dance party. We'll wait. But yeah, we we do like do it. We like doing these contests. We do have a thirty three hundred episode coming up. By the way, three hundred episode is coming. It's Kevin. Yeah, we've we've been talking about it. We got some ideas. We've, we've been discussing it. There, there's going to be like some specials in the along the way as well. So yeah, we, we got some. We don't got be s- counting down your calendars for five weeks from now. We got we got some ideas. Yeah, we got some ideas. But yes, yes but just That's to right. just to bring this back, Dennis, you won our contest for Facebook. He he his 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 son has submitted a, an awesome. Uh, cover photo that's going to be our new Facebook banner for a little while, uh, which I think is uh, pretty great. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna have we should have more contests because I have like a stack of, question, of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Question for you guys: mm-hmm. So you've got this awesome contest going on, and the we we've already talked about this in the past, but really the best prize you could come up with was a Blu-ray of Kong Skull Island. It's unwatched. It's a new I agree. Blu-ray. Unwatched. I agree. With, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Dennis, I'm sorry. Still in Dory my top Dennis. ten of the year. Dennis, don't listen to that. Michael. Still in my Not top my ten, ten of the year. Awful. Yeah. What a fun movie. Can't wait to keep watching it. I have my <laughs> Blu-ray. I might my, my, my watch it after this. <laughs> we'll have more contests in the future as well. Aaron and I have been discussing that for uh, what's going to be coming up uh, in episode 300 and beyond. So stay tuned. For sure. And what else? Let's do it. 
Mark is going to think it's about him, but it's not. We're going to do a quick summer gamble review here because we do that every week on the show because um, uh, we have more movies that have been coming out. Um, as people know, uh, Abe and I, along with Marcus and several other regular guests on the show, we're all engaged in a summer movie gamble uh, where we predicted what we think are going to be the top <clears throat> 10 highest grossing films of the summer. And uh, yeah, so this week, The Dark Tower. I thought, you were, I thought we weren't doing that this year. I, I didn't say that. No, <laughs> I didn't say that at all. This week, The Dark Tower came out. Um, and did not surprise anybody by not doing all that well. Um, 19 but it million. came in first. Well, the rank doesn't matter when you're not making that much money. Because right. um, <laughs> uh, Dunkirk's still making a lot of money. Um, not dropping very hard. Um, 17 million in its, what, fourth week? Third week, third week. So yeah, it's, it's, it's climbing the charts there. It's already going to be in the upper six and above at this point of the final ranking for the summer. So we'll, we'll see where it ends up. Girls Trip also still making a lot of money um so yeah uh but i don't think any of us had dark tower at all i think i know some of us considered it but no that movie is not doing well detroit did not make much money either by the way eighth place uh seven million and it's uh it's first like wide open weekend um but we'll talk more about detroit later uh yep. compared to compared to other more feel-good movies that people would want to see in the theaters right away <laughs> so we'll get there um, dark tower yeah, Dark Tower, exactly. No, I mean, that's kid- a good movie. <laughs> honestly, sure. honestly, Kidnap. Kidnap. I mean, it sat on the oh. shelf, but it came out, got mediocre reviews. But in terms of like the kind of movie experience you're getting, I hear it's supposed to be I heard that fun. it was fun. I hear it's fun. Yeah. Is that that's Halle Berry? That's Halle Berry. That's Halle Berry. Yes. Halle Berry. Academy oh. Award winner yeah. Halle Berry. Yeah, yeah she, she did. Still pulls. That's her taken, basically, right? Well, the call was her taken. This is more her her. Uh, what's the other one? Nonstop. This is her nonstop. Nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Halle Berry's apparently become like you know the person to go to for B movies starring a, fe- a black female actress like because that, that, that... hey man if they're being released in theaters get on you they are yeah I can't say the same about certain <laughs> other giant actors that go direct to video so, such, right? as, such as one whose trailer we'll talk about today that's not that's for a, <laughs> for a change of, for a change of pace not going direct to video so uh, but yeah all right so yeah so movie gamble up there we go that's what we got movies are making money. We, we got some ideas of where things are going to end up with that, but I think that's that's a fun challenge that we've been I've been very closely watching. I know other participants in it have been watching very closely as well. Um, oh, yeah. All right, so that's show notes. Let's move on. Let's get to know everybody. Reach week we ask each other a question or two. Try to set the tone for the podcast. We better get to know oh, everybody. everybody. All right. Not bad. It's not bad. Know everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Chiming in as usual. Uh, I'm totally. <laughs> Great. Thanks. I have a question for you guys. Yes. Do you handle crowds well? Hmm. How? Like in in a ruckus environment, or uh, it depends. Like there's concert environments, or you know, there are a lot of people. Or I was just a comic con where there's you know hundred thousand people around you, or even yes, somewhat more of a, a bit of a ruckus. Do you hand in general? Do you handle crowds well? Like do you are you are you fine navigating through them? Yes, I am fine navigating through them. I'll say yes as well. I say yes, but my tolerance for rowdy clou- uh, crowds is really low. <clears throat> so, I don't know. depends on how uh, how young the crowd is, how drunk the crowd is, how late at night it is. Uh, so, yeah. I get I get irritated really fast, but I don't have whatever phobia, agoraphobia, whatever, you know. Um, no Katy Perry concerts. Uh, no, Katy Perry concerts are all right. Okay. 
All right. Yeah, the second time was better than the first, and third time was better than the second, I gotta say. (laughs) (laughs) The the combination of time and drunkenness, that certainly plays a factor in crowds, I would say. And and average age of what crowd I'm swimming through. Uh, I've seen some drunk seven-year-olds at a... I don't know, I'm kidding. Drunk seven-year-olds? What? Did you, did you tell the parents? They're all stoned on, like, Ritalin or whatever it is, right? Kicking, <laughs> kicking shins. I believe it's called cake frosting. <laughs> I've got a question for you guys. Yep. So Aaron has somebody that he wants to punch in the face named Paul Dano. Uh, and I sometimes say that I want to punch Domhnall Gleeson in the face. I don't want to punch Paul Dano in the Let's get this straight. I want to punch that other kid, D- Dylan Minnette, that kid from Don't Breathe. Dylan that's the, Minnette? That's the, I haven't changed and it. I never wanted to. I never wanted to punch Paul Dano in the face. I just don't like Paul Dano. He looks like he looks like he's wet all the time. Is how you described him in the past. What? That's that's not the uh, same as wanting to punch him in the face. <laughs> in any case, is there is there a movie actor that whenever you see them on screen, you're like, man, you know that guy could deserve a punch in the face. Kevin Hart. Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> he, that's too easy. Kevin Hart. Mine. I mine mean, might be a little. Hard. Mine might be in need of an update, but for a while my go-to answer was John Heater. John. <laughs> oh, so you need someone that's still in movies? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I mean, like I, I feel like I'm not so angry about him anymore. I haven't seen him around him. <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't do anything. <laughs> I would feel like that about Kevin Hart if he took a year off. I mean, he he take a year off to do another special though. So that wouldn't that make you mad? I know. Well, he makes yeah. like seventeen movies a year and like a TV show. Well, that's The Rock, but they're both like the same except one's taller. They're both very <laughs> And now they're the same movie this uh, this, this Christmas. So you're good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna go big. I'm gonna go Johnny Depp. Johnny okay. Depp. Okay. Yeah. You know, but, he just use like, it to his advantage though. It'd be like, check out this new hat that goes with my black eye that I got last weekend. <laughs> you gotta choke him with his scarf. <laughs> Let's just mention that this podcast does not condone yeah, physical abuse in any yeah. way. By the way, we don't condone violence. This is more of a uh, joke question. So for the listeners Anyhow. that are still in this, that's how you do. No, everybody. <laughs> no, everybody. No, everybody. Let's move on now. Let's get out of quickies. Yep. Each weekend <clears throat> out now. We have a movie of the week that we talk about. That's all the quickies. Yep. All right. I'll accept it. I cleared my throat. It was good. It was just quick. Like, I like it. <laughs> Abe have, you seen, Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? I did. I watched The Incredible Jessica James on Netflix, starring Jessica Williams and Chris O'Dowd. And yeah, I could see what Terrence was saying last week uh, about how maybe it felt like it was probably written by Jessica Williams. It certainly David feels like something. Ter- 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 that, Terrence watched it and didn't like it. David was the didn't one that's like, really, yeah. really, really, really I, big yeah. on it. So I thought that it was like half and half, too, because uh, it certainly feels like a cool, quirky comedy. Uh, and I love Chris O'Dowd. I kind of missing him um, on screen. And I love Jessica Williams ever since she was a, a Daily Daily Show correspondent. But it kind of wraps itself up really, really neatly in a really like kind of everything's gonna be okay kind of saccharine way. So I was like, okay, well that that sort of is um, I guess what I should have expected, but I was kind of maybe expecting something else. But for the most part, it's fine. I would disagree how, that it's how... too saccharine because I think the ending makes a couple div- subversions to what could easily play out and i i liked how it went I, overall i think it's good i think it's a i mean it's one of these netflix movies that's you know picked picked up from sundance is only 80 or you know 85 minutes long works for that's me that's sure. a, it's an easy watch it's fun it's good cast good yeah chemistry. and keith stanfield love seeing keith stanfield all the time oh that's what i was gonna ask how how much is he actually in the show 
not a lot. I mean, it's, he's, it's movie. He's a he's a supporting but, player. Oh, the movie. Yeah. So yeah, he's a supporting character. He kind of comes in and out as she dreams. Um, but he's got one part where I kind of just laughed out loud, um, which involves Is a two-story building. Okay. Oh, the two-story building. Okay. Yeah, I just I literally busted up laughing. <laughs> Marcus, have you seen any other uh, movies this week? Um, yeah, I saw I saw I saw a Ghost Story, but I think you guys talked about that already. Whatever. I do you want me to talk about how she eats the whole pie for or most <laughs> of the pie for 30, 40 minutes? <laughs> and I gotta watch. She eats whatever. a whole pie for 30, 40 it's minutes. It's not of for a movie. 30, 40, it's like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it feels yeah. like an eternity. Uh, but that's, that's I'll, very I'll okay, I'll t- I, I finally got to see Raw. Oh, this uh, is the, the Canadian cannibal movie. <laughs> yeah, she's a vegetarian. She goes to a um, she uh, <laughs> vegetarian who goes to this weird ritual, hazing ritual where she has to eat meat and she becomes a cannibal. It's It was fine. It was fine. I've seen – I wanted to see it because there was a lot of talk about walkouts and people vomiting and, you know, uh, and it got critical acclaim. So I, I wanted to see what it, what it was about. But for movies like that, like Martyrs is my benchmark. So this wasn't better than that. Better in terms of like quality, or better in terms of like the intensity well, okay, of the so, nature. Well, okay, so so the reason I like Mars is it's, it's with the violence comes the story, a good solid story as well. So this one had a fine story, and it had violence in it that I had seen before. Unless you're really like adverse to cannibalism, watching cannibalism, I know we're all hopefully adverse to cannibalism, but <laughs> watching cannibalism. Don't tell me what unless, I don't know, Marcus. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, unless you're unless you're really that makes you squeamish it's not gonna really do anything for you it looks great it was filmed really great really really well the cinematographer i don't know who who this person is but they did a really good job other than that it's okay it's fine okay mike were you gonna ask something yeah 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 i was just curious about um when you said martyrs was your benchmark i said like for quality or non-quality okay so So for like like for like I, like extreme horror, so like I, I don't know if that's the technical to what it's technically called, but that blood gore uh-huh. kind of stuff that is verging on torture porn, but it has a story to it. It has yeah, some kind I, of. I actually think Martyrs is maybe one of the best like horror films. Yeah. Of the Ten or fifteen or so years, and yeah. so I'm, I'm happy to hear you advocate for it. I do have a funny story that I was. Uh, when all the news came out about Raw, I think the walkouts, there was someone who reportedly passed out or something right. during Maybe. a screening at Fantastic Fest or something. And so I was mentioning this in my film class, and I said, like, yeah, we can, you know, talk about this movie Raw. And I hear that, uh, you know, like, someone passed out or had to walk out or something. And a student raised her hand and goes, yeah, that was me. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Yeah, very nice. small world. Said it, was, it was really good. And she recommended other stuff that played really well at that festival, um, like The Autopsy of Jane Doe and what else? Girl with All the Gifts, um, I think also played at that same venue. And so apparently I had the person in my class who was the cause of all the ruckus around, uh, around Raw. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. Unless she lied to me. Certainly possible. <laughs> That is a possibility. 
Well, Mike. Ooh, you... Yes, I have a recommendation. Yeah. I saw a movie this week called Wind River. Oh, yeah, the new Taylor Sheridan movie. Yeah, I liked it. It's uh, So he directed it. Um, he wrote, for listeners who don't know, he wrote Sicario, which I think was pretty good. And he wrote Hell or High Water, which I think is really good. And this film is like maybe in between somewhere. It's 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 quite good. You you can start to see certain like authorial interests emerging from this guy, like characters who are kind of defined by their landscapes and there's like literal and metaphorical struggles to survive. And so it's pretty clear these themes interest him. Um, without spoiling anything about the film, I do have one major criticism of it that I just want out there. Um, so the movie's about a murder on a Native American reservation and Jeremy Renner is he's a hunter who married into the community and now works uh, works there and he insists in the investigation and the criticism is that it is plainly obvious that his character should have been a Native person and not a white guy. Um, it would have been more natural to the story, it would have been more organic to some of his dialogue and so I don't know if it was like a producer's decision or something to cast a more marketable actor, but I couldn't help but feel the whole time like they had taken a really juicy role away from a native actor and taken that opportunity away. And that kind of bummed me out. But as a genre thriller, it's definitely worth a look. Well, very cool. Mm. I know it opened um, in limited release this week. It opens wide next week. I'll probably be seeing it next week. Um, okay. And I look forward to it because I do, you know, I am a fan of Sicario and Hell or High Water, so I want to see what else, what he does yeah. as a director. So. Um, I've seen a couple things this week. Um, I'll get to that in a sec. Okay, okay. The uh, first thing I've seen is a movie called The Only Living Boy in New York, uh, which is a Simon and Garfunkel song, as some of you already know. Um, it is the second film this year from director Mark Webb, who already did Gifted with Chris Evans, which I liked, actually, for what it was. Um, this one, not so much. Uh, it, it's it's a lot of, it's like a white people problems movie. Um, kid and boy in New York. His dad's played by Pierce Brosnan. He's cheating on his mom, played by Cynthia Nixon, with Kate Beckinsale. And he goes to spy on her. And then he falls in love with Kate Beckinsale. And it's all this relationship drama. It's not. It, it, it's nothing, really. It's pretty just kind of nothing. And I I note this afterwards because I don't realize who the screenwriter was. The screenwriter is Alan Loeb, who also wrote Collateral Beauty, um, among other um, <laughs> notable okay. failures of the past few years as far as <laughs> what the screenwriter has been able to kind of pull up. Uh, but yeah, uh, not, not a great one. The other movie I saw, also not great. It is The Dark Tower, the uh, big release of the week. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw it too. Yeah, this... Um, not it's not great. Uh, it's not great. I have not read. I have not read the books. I have not read the um, you know, the the forty five hundred page total epic um that spans like seven eight books from Stephen King. But I'm pretty sure a ninety five minute movie um is not the best way to have adapted it. It's only it was only ninety five minutes. It's eighty five minutes with without credits. Um, <laughs> um, um, it it is not a good movie. It, it's I think my biggest problem with it beyond just like general values in terms of entertainment um i think it has no vision like there's nothing there that suggests like a greater world that i really want to explore it's just very cheap looking uh, but it's certainly made on the cheap it's made like for 60 million um and it just it, the movie only takes place over so many locations and they're not really that visually interesting the kind of fantasy elements are really bland uh, Eldritch Elba does his best like he's he's legit good in the movie even if the script fails him he's very good in it but, like, McConaughey's doing something that's just not 
engaging in any way. Like he should be playing this kind of devilish villain that's really fun to watch. But every time he's on, it just feels like he's in a Lincoln commercial, but without like the lines of dialogue that make it like intriguing. So it's just like him just, like, just <laughs> in black, just walking around and. I didn't realize that the Lingua commercials were that intriguing. They're more intriguing than his performance here, because I'm like, what the hell's going on? In this movie, I'm just like... uh." I kind of felt like Matthew McConaughey was the only one who was, like, hamming it up. Um, He wasn't hamming it enough. Like, he was hamming it, for sure. There's a scene where... There's a scene where, like like um there's like a kid there's a kid there's a kid in the movie and his parents come home at one point to their apartment and they find mcconaughey in there like cooking dinner wearing an apron and i'm like this should be like hilarious and i'm just kind of like yeah all right that's quirky i guess like it's not it doesn't like inspire any idea it's just like it just it just falls flat did he actually serve them the dinner no he served well he's just like it's like oh yeah, he's like he's cooking chicken for no reason. Yeah, he just says we don't have chicken in my world. Like that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a one joke thing. And so I mean, McConaughey and Idris Elba are very watchable on screen, which is why it's a shame that the movie itself isn't just kind of, you know, what happened. Did, did it was right, it so it's just boring. That, that's yeah, the, that's the more the, offensive yeah. thing about the movie. It's just was it's it... just oh. Was it so cut up that it didn't make any sense? No, it's comprehensible. Or... I mean, it's not. I, there's what? certainly there's a lot of problems in terms of what story they're telling, as far as questions I have about motivations. Because like the movie's so skimmed down that it functions as a film that I could comprehend from you know A to B to C. But as far as why people are doing certain things or what certain things mean is just kind of like, eh, whatever, like shrug. Yeah, there, there's, there's very clearly like too much universe mm-hmm. that they're glossing over. Right. So there's like, Oh, there's this tower in the middle of the universe and it does this. And you find yourself asking why, Oh, but it can only be destroyed by the mind of a child. Well, why? why? <laughs> and, you just go, and, and this child in particular has the gift. Well, why? And hmm. they use a lot yeah, of other children to try to destroy the tower. What happens to them? Never, never see him again. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea who these kids are. <laughs> yeah. Is this like, is this like a, a King Arthur thing where this is the starting point of something that's never going to be finished? Well, it's supposed Probably. to be, I mean, it's supposed to be, or is this the complete, it, no, it the, I, I mean, it was supposed to lead to sequels and a TV series. And apparently there's a TV series that's still going forward. Well, there's still the TV series. Yeah. I mean, they just, they, they say they just hired the showrunner who was one of the showrunners on walking dead originally. Like, so it, I guess it's, it's moving forward, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going on with this, but I can't yeah, they're say they're probably going to have to wait and see how it does overseas before they decide to move forward with this. Um, it's probably like, the dark universe, right? They're kind of in limbo right now. What do we do? Uh, the dark. I mean, the dark mm. universe at least made money. Like it's 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 not really well liked. But, Did it? Yeah. Did Mummy make money. Mummy made like three hundred and fifty million worldwide. Some odd million so, worldwide. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, yeah. Worldwide is what I mean, right? Yeah, so if yeah, Dark worldwide. Tower does okay worldwide, then that could be the green light. But otherwise, yeah, see. I, <laughs> this looks like a big misfire. Oh yeah, it looks like a giant misfire because nobody liked this movie. It got a B cinema score, which is not good if you know cinema score, and it didn't make much money this weekend. So like, it didn't cost too much, which is the one saving grace that it has, but. And Idris Elba is really good at reloading guns. I'll uh-huh. say that. Yeah, I, I saw that from the trailer, and they showed me more of yeah. that in the movie. So he, good on him. Should Should they just have a YouTube really, clip of him reloading really guns, guys? Well, the trailer is a YouTube clip of him reloading guns. So I mean, that's I don't really. Need that was YouTube. pretty cool. I did. I I enjoyed watching that yeah, trailer. There's a reason that's pretty. It's a trailer shot. It's the one thing they have going for them because there's nothing else cool about the visuals in the movie. So. 
I think the best thing for fans that they can say is that they can't wait for the reboot of the Dark Tower ten years from now. I think that's probably the right. best the best thing they can go with. <laughs> I also yeah. also there's this mantra. He he's like a gunslinger and he's got this uh philosophy that he lives by and I wanted to rewrite it. It says like I do not what is it, Aaron? I, I don't I, kill I, with my gun, I kill with my heart. Yeah, uh because or else yeah. I've forgotten the face I mean, of my I, father. It's longer longer, but that's the that's the gist of it. And I wanted to rewrite it and just be like I do not kill with my gun. I kill with my heart. But having a gun helps. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that makes good. sense. That's so yeah, it's it's not good, the Dark Tower. And I never thought it'd be good. I wanted it, I went in with very low expectations, like maybe it'll just be stupid fun. It was it was stupid fun. Like I'd love to say it's so bad you gotta see this movie. It's ridiculous how crazy this movie is. It's not even. If crazy. that was just, the case, we would have an extra episode on. We'd it, do an whole sure. episode of the Dark Tower, but it's not yeah, that. It's we would not, do it, a whole entire episode. It's just it's like a great. We'd, we'd be giving away Blu-rays for a banner contest of it if, if, if that we, might still happen. All right, so yeah, that's enough quickies. Jim, let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk when we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week. When it's coming out, what we think of it, what have you. And this week we're talking Death Wish. The remake of Death Wish, directed by <laughs> Eli Roth, and now starring Bruce Willis in the uh, the oh geez, the Charles Bronson role. Uh, Charles Bronson, who famously uh, played the character Paul Kersey in five different Death Wish films, all, all of them beloved. That's not true. One or two of them beloved. <laughs> but, um, certainly was a, it. It was a a good. I mean, you want to talk about Liam Neeson taking it's like old man action movies. Charles Bronson was like, what is he? He's like pushing like seventy when he was making some of these Death Wish sequels. So That's right, yeah. He was he was up there when he was making these movies, uh, but now we have Bruce Willis in a timely sequel that features a white guy in a hoodie walking around at night killing random people, probably a lot of minorities based on what I'm seeing in the trailer, um, and Eli Roth's directing. <laughs> it's from a script by it's from a script by Joe Carnahan, uh, who was going to direct the film. Um, mm. He. he Got himself off there when they wanted to push Bruce Willis into the lead role. He he wanted he wanted Liam Neeson actually of all people to be the the uh, title character, but they wanted Willis. And here we are, Eli Roth's Death Wish. Let's let's start with uh, let's start with Mike. Mike, what do you think of the trailer for Death Wish? <laughs> well, so I have this kind of love hate thing with Eli Roth. Like I can't decide if he's a hack or not. Um, I definitely think he's a little too self-important and self-aggrandizing for his own good. But then again, he occasionally shows flashes of real talent that I actually admire a lot. Um, so I'll, I'll give you my impression of Death Wish this way, which is that I think one of, the one film he's done that Eli Roth has done that's legitimately great is Knock Knock. I think there's some really complex and amazing things going on in that film. And the key to that is this completely bonkers performance he gets out of Keanu Reeves. So just on the basis of that, I feel like one of Eli Roth's strengths, and maybe he inherited this from Tarantino, is in taking a star's persona and using it in potentially subversive or interesting ways and taking it in unexpected directions. So maybe he can do something with Bruce Willis. I guess we'll see. Um, it makes me a little nervous to see what you pointed out, which is that it takes place in Chicago and it's got this white guy enacting his own brand of justice um, by blowing away like this series of minorities. Um, the politics of that are potentially really worrisome, but I leave open the possibility that that's exactly where the film may have some room for satire, because that's what I think Knock Knock does really effectively concerning issues of consent and male paranoia. So, you know, I, 
I'll hold off judgment until I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can't possibly hate it more than I hated Green Inferno. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That movie. Speaking yeah. of cannibalism. Yeah, that movie really ate at me. Let me put it that way. Okay. But I'm. Um, can't even do cannibalism right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, although it's funny you mentioned that they wanted Liam Neeson because I mean I'm not exactly clamoring for a Bruce Willis comeback. I know he's been stuck in like VOD hell for a couple of years, but it it really feels to me like the right <laughs> you say person. stuck, I say purposely chosen, but you know whatever. <laughs> <laughs> potato, potato. I just feel like the right person for this would have been Mel Gibson. It it hmm. certainly that would play the yeah. subversion card. That that's for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. We'll see. I was never a big fan of the original Death Wish. Um, I don't even think I've seen any past the first one. Um, although, I'll take the opportunity to plug, there's an unofficial remake of it with Kevin Bacon Death called Sentence. Death Sentence. Yeah, the James Wan film. It's I, I like pretty that. great. So like watch that one, yeah. Marcus, how about you? Yeah. What do you think of the trailer for Death Wish? You know, speaking on that, I, I've never actually seen Death Wish. I know, I, I've seen it done before simpsons did stuff on it i've never seen the movie uh so i'm not clamoring for another one but i I think this thing is gotta be dead on arrival i mean you got bruce willis nobody's really clamoring to see bruce willis eri roth uh like mike said i think he holds weight for some reason i don't i don't know why um but the trailer's they have a white guy in a hoodie shooting people on the streets of Chicago. I, I think it's a super – it's a giant misstep. I, I don't know who would want to see this aside from people who want to see that. I, I think there's a there's a different audience. I think that is really glad that would yeah, be very there, happy. Yeah, there's a built-in audience for yeah. this movie, but I don't think – is it an intended audience or is it just this was kind of a weird trailer that got loose and now was making – uh, uh, is, is is going viral no it's it's the trailer it's the trailer for the movie and i think i at its best i like to speak to mike's point where i think there is a possibility because eli roth does this he's done with this with hostile um and as far as kind of taking it taking an idea and warping it to beyond expectations and playing with some ideas, some interesting social commentary and that's I, I i've seen i've seen the hostile films i've seen um green Inferno. i haven't seen knock knock but like i I am aware that Eli Roth he has a he has ideas that somehow some sometimes work out well, and I I can say that a Death Wish remake with Bruce Willis and doing what he's doing, I don't think Eli Roth's done dumb enough to kind of not get that and not have a plan for how to take that. But this trailer I think is horrible. I think it's a horrible trailer as far as the movie it's selling and the yeah. audience that could potentially pick this up and think, yeah, this is what I want to see because of what's going on in this trailer. I, I don't think there's any kind of there's any there's nothing to subvert expectations from based off what this trailer is. From this trailer, I don't see how you could possibly turn it around. Because it's but like it's it's I it's, might it's, see it's, it's, just to see mm-hmm. what he does. It's a trailer uh, that's, that's celebrating Bruce Willis doing this and playing back in black in the background. So there's like there's no irony here. It's just like, yeah, of course, Bruce Willis yeah. is great for this. Like it's the best thing he could do. And so it's it's hard to separate. It seems but, like a lazy a lazy trailer that kind of got now it's out there, and now it's uh, it went out of it got out of hand. So somebody wasn't paying attention. I don't know. I, it, this doesn't seem like a trailer that you put out if you want people to see your movie. Abe, what do you think? 
Yeah, I thought it was a bad trailer too, and that's mostly because of the tonal like differences from the beginning ten seconds into the last second half of the trailer. That's mostly because uh, yeah, it starts out it starts out with oh this terrible thing happened and this guy kind of gives you this motivation. And later, I guess there's some funny tongue-in-cheek stuff that's supposed to be happening, and so you're supposed to start rooting for for uh, Bruce Willis to go and be a, a vigilante, and it's just it didn't really feel like it was. Uh, I was not expecting that. Is is what I'm getting at? Of just oh well, I guess it's going to be a funny comedy, but a dark comedy. But it didn't feel that way from the get-go. So it it just doesn't feel like it's that connected. And from what you guys are all mentioning, perhaps Elaine Roth does have that sense of like, hey, you know what, it, I'm going to come in here, it's going to be kind of this uh, this whimsical yet dark movie, uh, much like uh, some stuff that he's made in the past, and then we're going to go with it. But it just, it didn't really give me vibes of, uh, of really anything. It kind of just made me want to say, well, I guess uh, I'm going to wait for Aaron to review that. It, yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're going to be rooting for him no matter what, because that's just the Death Wish narrative. And I think, you know, as misplaced and misused as the Back in Black is in terms of setting a kind of strange tone for this movie, um, the fact that they went with that kind of does make me lean toward, you know, just it reinforces my idea that there may be kind of a, a stab at satire here. It may totally fall flat on its face. I but, and I can agree with that, but I, I, seeing this as like a marketing tool, I don't see you know people that don't know Eli Roth, which is most of America because he's not a household name. I don't see them picking up on that vibe at all. I just, I, I, I don't see that happening. And it's a, it'd be a, it'd be a weird bait and switch to be like, well, this is the movie you thought you were gonna see, but this is what it actually is, and they're not gonna like that either. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, it, it, may, it may not do well as a result of its bad marketing, but in terms of whether the movie itself has promised, like, I wonder, like, the fact I didn't know that it was written by Joe Carnahan. That's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Yes, right? I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows how much Eli Roth might have changed um, once he took over. But, you know, like, if it's based on a script by Joe Carnahan, I feel like it's worth taking a little more seriously, even though, like, like I agree with you guys, the marketing seems to be pushing a button that isn't you know kind of honoring the film that's yeah. what they're trying to make like uh, and you mentioned if whether or not Eli Roth is a hack or not and it's like well he didn't write this and he generally writes his film so I, there could be i don't know too much of the detail about if there's any like kind of screenwriting clause that says carnahan gets sole credit as opposed to you know giving co-credits to other people that might have been involved in the screenplay but i i just don't know the facts entirely and i'm sorry i don't even enjoy speculating too much about things that might maybe it just is joe carnahan wrote it and eli roth directed it. maybe that's just the whole story but i it's hard to imagine an eli roth film written by somebody else that doesn't have kind of what his trademarks are um that said yes watching this trailer i didn't like the trailer and seeing bruce willis here i mean i'm willing to hope that bruce willis you know tries in a movie but as i think i've established and many others have you know said elsewhere bruce willis at this point is at a place where if the director tries to challenge him you can get a pretty good bruce willis performance out of him but if the director's just there to be like okay bruce do this and he just does whatever he wants it's going to be a lazy bruce willis performance and based on this trailer again i'm it, not seeing it, much complexity yeah, here he doesn't just look... seem like he's having oh, a, a ball doing this it just looks like smarmy bruce willis kind of just coasting along but maybe there's something else that i working under the surface that well, i can't see yet unless unless there's a way to kind of activate smarmy bruce willis in a way that's kind of subversive i mean i just feel like first of all one two things one 
it's impossible for me to imagine that any socially responsible filmmaker would go out and make a movie about a white person wearing a hoodie <laughs> and going into the inner city to like blow drug dealers away um, without it being some kind of deliberate social commentary or dark, com dark, dark comedy or satire on some level, right? Mm -hmm. There has to be self-consciousness to it. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, there's that too, but there's also the whole entire part of the trailer where he's just all of a sudden saying, by the way, the best way to get revenge is to buy a gun. It's like, all right, I guess that's uh, that's a pretty on-the-nose message there, guys. Yeah, and it's got these beats to it that, like, we know there's going to be a scene where he's, like, buying a gun for the first time and the scene where he, you know, confronts so-and-so for the first time. It's going to have these kind of genre conventions to it. Um, it's just, I can't... I, I'm just assuming that they're going to play around with those because they've inserted those sort of stock scenes in a film in which a white guy is in a hoodie blowing people away. But you've started from a place of satire, so hopefully you're treating those obligatory sequences with a bit of satire as well in the finished product. You just can't tell because in the trailer, the way they cut it, it just seems so rote and so so conventional. Um, yeah, unless this is two different movies, unless this is so far different than what I saw here, I, this is going to be a train wreck. Well, we will see. Come yeah. this Thanksgiving, November 22nd is when Death Wish arrives in theaters. So We should all reconvene for that one. <laughs> there you go. There's the movie right there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on now. Let's get to our, let's get to our, that was trailer talk. Let's get to our main review for Detroit. revolver you carry a revolver i do have a 38 you ever shoot anyone i didn't do it please oh here we go here in detroit a city of war violence continues we've made state police and national guardsmen available i'm declaring a public state of emergency it's a war zone out there they're destroying the city police assume you're all criminals you don't talk about this to anyone ever you understand all right that should have been some of the trailer for detroit over the course of her career catherine bigelow has gone from making masculine genre movies to prestige thrillers uh, while near dark and point break have given her plenty of cult appeal the hurt locker got her an oscar with zero dark 30 further elevating her standing now we have detroit with once again once again finds bigelow working with writer producer mark bull to develop a take on a specific situation in this case the film concerns the chaos that erupted during the detroit riots of 1967 with a specific emphasis on a somewhat obscure story about an incident that occurred at the algiers motel there several detroit pd officers were involved with the beatings and death of multiple black men and two white women Working as both a hostage thriller of sorts and a look at societal issues that are still relevant today, Marcus, did you find that Bigelow and Bull to be uh, successful in their efforts? Oh yeah, I, 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 I think that this is the best war Bigelow Bull collaboration that they've come out with so far. Big, Bigelow Bull. Bigelow Bull. Let me repeat that Bigelow Bull collaboration. Yes, so far. And I, I don't think anybody's going to really disagree. I think it's going to be a big love fest right now. But I'll, I'll run through it real quick. Catherine Bigelow, the documentary film that she has in her direction, was perfect for basically watching a hard movie like this, which is an hour of it is 60s police brutality in real time. 
Mark Bull's script is award worthy. Uh, he took he takes this compelling and very relevant story and gives it legs, creating three dimensional characters. Uh, we care about everybody who's on the scene. We care if they live or die or whatever happens to them. Um, the acting from everybody on board here: Jacob Lattimore's having a year, Algie Smith, uh, who's basically a young Lorenz Tate is yeah, they, yeah. they both they both have great performances here um will polter will polter yeah mm-hmm. he's he is he's perfect here he would have been perfect as pennywise uh john boyega is a superstar if nobody knows it by now they should know it he's a superstar he can run i think they put him in a in a in a i think he's in a, 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 a playing a character that's kind of by the wayside a little bit, but his performance was my favorite. His that character that he plays is one of my favorites in years. I'll probably talk. We'll talk about that later when we start going into other stuff. But I loved it. Um, it starts off a little bit slow. Is not the right word. It starts off a little bit kind of sloppy as it tries to form everything. But all is forgiven once. Uh, we get into the Algiers and everything comes together. And I, I was saying before, maybe it needs to be cut down a little bit, but nope, I reverse that. Um, it's all, it's near perfect. It's a near perfect film. All right. Well, Mike, what did you think of Detroit? Oh, Marcus, I'm going to disagree with a lot. Oh, no. We were together on knock, knock. <laughs> and... <laughs> How dare you, Mike? On martyrs. You we're we're together on. on martyrs and knock knock, but this one, I mean, I I agree with how you're describing a lot of the film's qualities. Uh-huh. And in fact, when you said that um, big a bowl, big a bowl, <laughs> that they're essentially making war movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would I would add to that. <laughs> I mean, because Detroit is shot like a war film, and I'll also, so you can see why they teamed up for this one, I would also add that their past collaborations, and including this one, they also have a very sort of disciplined and, like, war journalism quality to it. Yeah. Um, although, I mean, arguably they kind of botched that with Zero Dark Thirty because, like, some of the facts they were working with turned out to be incorrect about the the you know, efficacy of torture and things like that. That's a totally different discussion. But I'm so on the fence about Detroit. Um, I think it's like really, this, I don't mean to sound glib, but it's obviously very well-intentioned. But I found it kind of unpleasant. And not not unpleasant because the subject matter is so grim, obviously, but unpleasant because it's so, I found it very thematically empty and uninteresting. And ultimately, I think this movie just doesn't quite work with regard to what they were clearly trying to do with it. And I think it unfortunately pulls us into this impossibly sticky web of, and and this is when I was joking earlier about how I keep coming back on the show to talk about really difficult issues, where I find myself stuck once again in this position of trying to reconcile the film's qualities. And there are a lot of things to admire about the film and its craftsmanship. Catherine Bigelow is still a great director, but trying to reconcile those qualities with the larger social and cultural context that elevates 
the bare bones question of whether you liked or disliked the movie into a very different type of conversation. And I have very, very big reservations about this film. Um, and I'm not going to be vague or coy about that. Um, the fact that it's being lauded as this amazing double A plus drama, Catherine Bigelow knocks it out of the park again, makes me a little crazy because it suggests to me that people are really going by their visceral reactions to the things on screen and judging it by how compelling they found the dramatic subject matter. When to me, the film is actually very, very much like Zero Dark Thirty, actually really weighed down by its own politics. And in this case, I'm, I'm like the thousandth person to bring this issue up. The issue of this affluent white woman conveying this story about black suffering. Um, it brings up a really difficult set of questions about race in America and how to portray it on screen that, Marcus, I hope you're ready because you and I are going to solve this question tonight. All of it. <laughs> I'm ready. We do here on now with Renee. We solve social issues. Well, let's, let's before we delve into some <laughs> to solving social issues. On all the right, podcast, all right. <laughs> that will clearly go viral because of our our unanimous decisions <laughs> yeah. that we make. I mean, yeah, we're going to get world-renowned fame for being, uh, you know. Treaty seekers. Let's Can get I to add something just yeah. because before I, you know, I don't want to hate on Catherine Bigelow and I don't want to come across like I am at all. Um, she's really great at finding or what seeking out films about real issues that matter to her. Like, I think she was involved in a documentary about elephant poaching or something like that. Yes, Might that's true. That yeah. Up? No, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. So she does pick projects she's attracted to and she's not a director for hire, which is part of what makes Catherine Bigelow so badass and such a role model within an industry that still struggles so much with diversity. But there really remains a difficult question that puts this film in a weird zone, and this is why I'm on the fence about it. There seems to be no better time to have a powerful, sober movie like this about police racism in America. But given how sensitive we are about encouraging people to be mindful of identity politics and about being being woke, basically, there's also no better time for us to have a discussion about whether people like Mark Bowl and Catherine Bigelow should be the ones telling the story. And so, so I'm not, like, there's so no. If Ava, so if like Ava DuVernay directed this, you would like it? Uh, no, it's not a matter of liking it or disliking it. I don't think it's about um, like no one is saying you have to stick with your group. Although, I mean, it does make me make the conversation a little easier. There's plenty of good examples of people who tell really compelling stories and have made great films about races that they're not part of. Um, I can probably think of a few examples like uh, like Loving that came out last year is about, you know, Rachel, the director is what color purple is still Spielberg. Um, Who's the guy, the true detective guy, Carrie Fukunaga? Yeah, with Sinobra. Or Gavin Hood with Satsi. We could probably go down the list. But I'm saying that, but, and there's also another thing to consider is that there's also a number of other ways to slice the pie other than like race. And when you're deciding who has the right to tell a story or who's authentic enough to tell a story, 12 Years a Slave is this widely acclaimed Oscar winning movie about American slavery, but the director isn't American. Whereas Django Unchained, which came out about the same time or like a year later, mm-hmm. is all about American slavery. And it is directed by an American who is a white guy. So I don't think it's useful to get bogged down into like this question of who has the right to tell the certain to tell certain stories or whether Ava DuVernay would have brought a certain authenticity to it. But it does but feel it, like you asked that question, though. 
you know, but right. that's that's what I'm saying. I'm not making a claim about that. I'm saying it's worth taking those stories and then putting them under a microscope and seeing not not to make declarative statements about who has the right to tell what kind of story, but now that the stuff is out there, to put them under a microscope, see what we can glean from them about the prevailing practices of a still very white industry and a still very white circle of film critics, present company excluded, and what kind of cultural factors seep into films like this on an affective level. That's kind of where I come from um, in trying to like interrogate this movie a little bit. And I'm not sure how I feel about that question, which is why I'm on the fence. Well, we will... Hmm. We'll get we'll into definitely that. Definitely get into that. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get let's get all of our opinions. Nah, out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get all of our opinions out here, Asley, before we move on. So, Abe, what do you think of the film? I think Detroit's all right. Uh, it just didn't affect me in the way that I think it perhaps could have affected me, and it's not because of the content, and it's uh, not because of anything that perhaps uh, perhaps folks have written about. But it, it's a competently made movie. It's shot well. It's shot viscerally. There are times where, again, I, I let out four-letter words uh, of exasperation. Um, I mean, the actors are doing a good job, and it was presented in such a way that made me uh, – it kind of felt like um, guerrilla style, you know, because there's like uh, shaky handheld cams and whatever else. I think it's just more that the linear storytelling of it is what took me out of the movie, and it also – I think that the editing of it, of allowing them to pick and choose kind of where they want to stay longer is where um, it kind of moved me from continuing to feel uh, perhaps what I should have felt. I kind of just hope that they had stayed with a little bit more of the aftermath um, as long as they did with the confrontation. Um, but that seemed to speed by in in a much more, I guess, quicker approach. But um, I didn't feel like anyone in character was explored too much either. And I get the sense that, of course, it's not going to be like there's one protagonist, like John Boyega is not going to be your protagonist throughout the movie, and, and Will Polder is not going to be your antagonist, so you definitely don't have to get a full backstory. It's just more that I definitely wanted to understand more of these folks and, um, and uh, so that I could identify with perhaps the internal struggle that they're going through because there's some points in the movie where Will Poulter, you're kind of like, well, he is an asshole, uh, but – there's a part where he's just like, oh, well, he is also using some, I guess, some really terrible, shady uh, deployment tactics, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, interrogation tactics that I guess not everybody was on the same page about. Uh, so it's like, oh, well, I kind of want to know a little bit more about what's up with this dude. But in any case, uh, obviously, the fact of the matter is that um, the, there's going to be tension within the Algiers Motel, and I was... I, unfortunately, I saw the trailer, so I, I was some of the tension was already deflated from that scene or the extended period of the scene. Um, with that being said, though, overall, it's not a bad movie at all. It's just more that um, I just couldn't really go along with it because of the way that it, that it was being told to me. It just was super linear the way that we've seen movies done in the past where I felt like it could have been better if it was um, taken from multiple story angles of not just these folks on here on the ground, but kind of the way that we mentioned Selma really quickly, just the way that, well, there's an LBJ scene here now. It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, but uh, it's just that uh, I, I totally understand that this is uh, shedding light on the racial injustices of U.S. history that are present now and that were present back then as well. Um, I just didn't feel like it made that impact on my viewing of it. 
I mean, I would argue that the movie is told from multiple perspectives, mainly because it's being the, the source information is being called from all sure. the various witnesses. Yeah. But you're being given Poulter's perspective, you're being given Boyega's perspective, you're being given the treatment of the people that are on against the walls perspective. The various people, since you have the, the two white women, the the uh, the singer and his manager, the random people from the upstairs, Anthony. Right. I mean, I think you're giving all sorts of perspectives on what's going on here. I found the film electrifying. Uh, it's my favorite film of the year so far. Um, I think it does everything it needs to to convey a sense of emotion um, that should righteously be or rightly be um, you know angry for viewers. This is not a comfortable film to watch in any way beyond getting to see kind of craft speaking to a variety of things. And I I felt it was very effective throughout. I I. I look forward to discussing more of the kind of the role that Bigelow and Bull have in kind of putting something like this out there, given who they are versus the people that they're, you know, telling a story on behalf of. But I mm-hmm. very much welcome, you know, seeing something like this just existing to begin with. I, I, obviously, it's well-intentioned. Uh, no one can take that away from them. Um, but I do think the, the results are this incredibly well-crafted thriller that works as both a war film and a horror movie. Um, in a way that had me very emotional for a variety of reasons, um, related a lot of subjects that, you know, have not gone away, uh, gives me performances that I think are really worth speaking to. Um, it doesn't play to convention because it's just giving you a situation and the way it's shot uh, doesn't, you know, it doesn't lead itself to having something like John Boyega becoming this, you know, heroic figure that stood up when times were down or anything like that it gives you what actually happened and what you should basically (laughs) expect to happen which is unfortunate but just the way that it's the fact of the matter um and as far as kind of whatever message it's going for getting across i think once again i it seems like it only happens with bigelow films and certain other filmmakers where it kind of feels like people forget how to watch movies when you need to deal with certain controversial topics because i the same thing happened with Hurt with uh, Zero Dark Thirty, where there's suddenly all this talk about torture, and it seems like it all stems because like the movie doesn't give you this you know contrived scene where they're shouting at you their thoughts on torture. It's just giving you a situation where you can you can read what you're supposed to read from it, or you can take it completely the wrong way. And I feel like a lot of people took it the wrong way, and that seems to be the case here to an extent. Maybe not as severe as the torture aspect, but as far as intention, because I do think there's a lot of interesting things this movie's trying to convey without giving you kind of a a pat solution to all of it or like this is what we do next in some kind of text that sums up it's just giving you people that are in a situation and this is what happened and and, and by the time this movie ended i was very satisfied with what i got out of it can i interject a little bit so, so i have a question about that and, and i can see ourselves drifting into two directions one is just like the craftsmanship and the artistic technical qualities of the film mm-hmm. And then, and then the sort of more issue, contemporaneous issue-based Black Lives Matter um, police brutality in contemporary America, the sort of, you know, the attitude that the film wants to foster in people, which is, you know, oh, wow, things haven't really changed. Um, so, so I can see these two kind of categories kind of splitting into two different things. But so, so I want to ask Aaron this question of, you know, people don't know how to watch movies because the movie's not there to kind of it's not handholding answers but but can i i'm not saying it's not there to provide answers but i'm saying it's not handholding you to like guide you to some magical correct answer i think it's just it's giving it's it's i don't think that it's supposed to do that anyway no it's not supposed to but i feel like the criticisms that come towards it are because it doesn't when other movies don't get that kind of criticism but let me ask you this then so 
I feel like you have to take into consideration how the filmmakers themselves are presenting the film. Mm-hmm. And because they're out there now all, all this week making the rounds, promoting the film as a project that they undertook with the intention of enlightening people, illuminating and educating people. And again, I don't doubt that their intentions are super sincere. Sure. But if you're presenting your film to an audience as a commentary on the culture, in this case, uh, on the culture of police racism, then those are the grounds on which your film deserves to be evaluated as a success or a failure. Yeah. Right. Um, I mentioned earlier, uh, to add to what Marcus described, uh, like the film is given a kind of historical legitimacy by weaving in historical footage and it, that, that does make it kind of interesting, the LBJ thing. I found myself perk up a little bit when George Romney showed up. I was like, hey, that's that's Mitt's dad. Um, but, like, there is kind of a deceptiveness to that because it reinforces the idea that this is a historical document. Um, this is, some, this is like, something that happened, and it's Verite, verite style. It's all oriented toward presenting the film as, like, what really happened that night. Um, so even if you can't deny that it comes with a certain level of emotional impact and real craftsmanship and the film succeeds on that level, it does present itself as a slice of history when it is in fact a dramatization. Right. I mean, how, but there was a disclaimer at the end, right? Well, yeah, that's that's a weird disclaimer to put at the end where it's like, you know, we had to, we essentially, if you wait, it's not a disclaimer you would put in the beginning. It's a movie. Yeah. I mean, it essentially just says that, you know, we had to get, uh, some of the parts were uh, from eyewitness accounts, um, right. and they may have been fictionalized for this movie. Regardless of what the movie, I mean, what the you know what a line of text at the end says, or what the how the marketing is promoting that, the movie. So, I mean, I think we're speaking to the idea that audiences are not going to get the fact that they're walking into a movie, which I deny. I don't. I don't think that's a case to like to. to yeah, I don't think to. that this is. I, Right. That's, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that everyone knows that it's going to be a movie. I mean, even, there, even yeah. given my love for Zero Dark Thirty, which was uh, my best or best movie of the year for me, what, 2012? Yeah, it was just like, of course, I knew that there was going to be some in- inconsistencies, but it's like a three-hour movie. It's like it's not action-heavy, and what I was really enthralled by is actually this single person's, like, crazy drive to try and solve some of this uh some of the the cases that she's working on through intense bureaucracy (laughs) yeah which again what i'm talking about with the way that they told that story sure it might be a little bit more linear but again they had different views of like well here's what the caa head is thinking and here's what mia is thinking and then here's what her subordinates are thinking and you kind of see a change in her uh whereas in this one yeah sure i can grant you that they had like this televised uh recording of of governor romney at the time and i was like okay that's kind of cool but i would actually want to hear more of perhaps their take on that if they cut away to a a different scene altogether and was like oh well this is like a giant war zone or whatever the case it is like that's not i definitely want them told i mean we're being told that we're 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 given an opening that gets you into the detroit riots in general then the but the movie's focus is this one event presented in real time there's no place to cut away from at this point because we're trying to see this particular story being told but even that i mean i again i just i feel like the tension wasn't really as much there because i know what the i know what the um the outcome is going to be right so you were you weren't you weren't there mm -hmm. was no tension in that entire hour that they were up against the wall not as much as i wanted to feel 
And that's not because like I'm dead oh. on the inside, Marcus. It's more just that <laughs> it seems like, like it. Like, that's, that's wow, that is no, that, dude, that's like, one again, of the more like, yeah for an hour. Really, I know, yeah, they're there for a really long time, and they're up against the wall, and there's there's all these like ridiculous like things being shouted at them to do, like start praying and start singing. It's like this is fucked up shit. It's just more of okay. Well, I want to know why do we have. You know, the National Guardsmen here, they kind of have a, an interesting take. And they have the state police there. That's kind of an interesting take. And John Boyega's story, that's an interesting take. But, again, the way that it wraps up, it was just like, I I kind of saw that coming. Just like, oh, well, we're going to write words on the screen now and tell you that this person is still doing this or this person was never found guilty of this. It's like, okay, well, uh, I would rather watch like a four-hour-long documentary. I mean, Abe is saying things that I, I kind of – uh, agree with in terms of some of the characters maybe aren't as fleshed out as you would have liked the, them to have been. Is that correct? You said something like that earlier. I mean, some of the characters maybe aren't as well developed. They don't have full story arcs. But then on the flip but side, but I didn't so much mind about that because I in definitely saw it was like a slice of life. Well, you know, yeah, it's well, because like it's, 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 it's presented like in real slice. time. There's not going to be. There's yeah, not yeah. a natural bit so of like, well, it's a yeah, good. Like, yeah. aside, right, but, aside from like me needing to like know more about like. Uh, I, I didn't know I didn't need to have more of Will Poulter's backgrounds character, just more of like, well, you know, uh, again, they, they have some interesting takes on him. But I would love to more know more about John Boyega's character. You know, I think, Marcus, you wrote something which was kind of fascinating to me. It's like, oh, this guy's like super complex. And it's like, it's like, I wish that I hadn't gotten that more out of the movie. I mean, I, you, yeah, you could have had a, a, an entire movie on a, at least three of these guys. But the fact that I I loved his character. His character, I, I loved it. But I understood why they needed to put him in not every single scene. I understood. It, it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie. They have about ten characters. They have to kind of get to where they're getting in a certain amount of time. You can only do so much, but I think in that two-and-a-half hours, they fleshed out almost all of these characters what I all like, the characters that i cared about what i like because i i'm with marcus i like boyega's character and i like another character i'll mention in a second but what i like about boyega what uh, melvin what the mucus the yes uh, Demuc? yeah. Demuc. what i what i like about this character well i i think there's a number of establishing shots to give me everything i need to know about who this guy is and just right. the the screen presence of Boyega, which is impressive given that he's only been in so many movies, and I already feel like he has a certain kind of presence, which is why which well, is why we've I, loved him since the Jack the Block. Yes, but I think and I think the marketing recognizes that too. Is like regardless of his role in the film, I think showing Boyega and giving you kind of a sense of who he is just from the looks he's giving in certain scenes, that's a lot that an actor is able to accomplish, and I think he really does that well. Hey fellas, Melvin Desmukes, I'm with United Security. I'm going to that grocery store across the street. Come bearing gifts. Oh, thank you. That's nice, boys. Hey, all things considered, this is pretty good. Thank you. I don't have my usual appliances. Mm. I ain't got any sugar. I don't push your man. I, and I agree, there could be a whole movie on just this character. But what I like about this film is that it's basically teasing you with the idea that if this guy just stood up and did anything, 
this scenario could play out a, a, differently. There could totally. be some, there's some yeah. but he doesn't. He doesn't. It denies you this, and I think there's something to that. I think there's there's something to what Bull's screenplay is doing for this movie, especially because it's based, yeah. you know, off of reality, obviously. But I mean, it's a movie. It's mm-hmm. a dramatization. I, there's there are a number of ways you can make this a way more. That's why he's such a That's and that's what that's I'm. Why agree- he's such a and I'm agreeing with you on that fact. I do. Th- I think there is something to how they're presenting some of these characters, where there are ways this film could turn to make it much more conventional, and by default it would make it i guess more visceral because it plays to certain conventions but because it doesn't do that it just leaves you in this kind of mess of a situation yeah for me and marcus apparently i mean it worked for me it worked for us to kind of register this level of tension that made me feel uncomfortable and made me kind of keep up with the situation um the other character i was going to refer to is anthony mackie i think anthony mackie also does very little in terms of like what he's given um, as far as like establishing a character and giving you all that, but just the kind of line, like he's a character, he, he's one of the people that's against the wall and right. you get the sense that he knows what's happening. He knows the kind of people he's dealing with and he knows how to act in the situation compared to many of the other people in the same situation who are freaking out and he's just doing the best yeah. he can to survive. And I love that. He's been I, through war. He's been through war. Yeah. He's literally yeah, he's been a serviceman. He's a serviceman yeah. who's on, who's, you know, he's been honorably discharged and everything. And the kind of the, what he's met with I and just how he tackles it. I found that to be fascinating. I found that to be like another, See, like, the way that, yeah, no, I, and I totally get that too. But if you take a, if you go back to like the original, not the original, but like the first part of the movie where, um, the what's the name of their group? Um, the the uh, the dramatics. dramatics, the dramatics. Yeah, so the dramatics are going to go on stage, and then all of a sudden the riots are happening. So they're saying, oh, we have to disband for tonight. It's kind of a bummer. And then they they stand this shot of like, oh, well, let me just have one moment to shine where I could have shined. I was like, okay, come on. Like, this is not the storytelling that I want to be seeing. And then it kind of just gets into like, well, let's make a bad decision after another bad decision. It's like, see, if it was more layered and more nuanced there, I would have been fine with it. But the, I the agree with that, you guys. I mean, that's that, stuff that happened. I mean, that's like what, that's what I'm happened. Not, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm essentially saying, see, the way that this, this story is being told to me is so like on the nose for some of this stuff here and they have to get up to they have to lead up to these folks meeting up at the Algiers motel right so right. it's like oh man like i wish that it was a little bit more again just a little bit more nuanced of like well we we are are uh, we were told to disband and uh, we just lost each other in the split up for whatever reason, we just ended up here at the Algiers because it's the closest point to us and i don't know where the other guys are it's the hotel so, he booked he said that is uh, what you're uh, kind of is what you're irritated with that he's saying? Like, no, 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 no. That, I'm irritated that's with the kind way of that like it was told to thematic. me. Like, like, there's no issue with anything that's going on in terms of, like, theme or whatever. It's just more of, like, I just felt like it was, like, it's the way that we watched uh, Clint Eastwood's movie about the the guys on the on the band. Um, Jersey Boys? Jersey Boys, where it's, like, oh. super linear. It's like, okay, well, I guess this guy's got a singing talent, and we'll watch him progress through the whole entire movie, and then all of a sudden it'll work out with them being on stage and then they're going to break up. So it's like, it's super linear and I just didn't like it. I don't know what I, you're saying. You keep saying it's super linear, but we're seeing all these different perspectives. I mean, it has one. No, you're not. You no, are. You're not. It's, no, it's you're not, not. It's not, it's not the Larry Reed. It's, it's not the Larry Reed story from all over. It's not the Larry Reed story from beginning yeah, to end. You're, you're, you're not seeing all these different perspectives because you're being there in the same room. And then nobody, like, it's not as though it's like, Oh, well all of a sudden, like, the story, uh, the story shifts because now you're seeing like Anthony Mackie's situation of it. It's like no, but you are seeing the you do room. see Anthony Mackie's situation of it. What is his situation of it? Like what is his reading of it? 
what okay what are you asking i'm not sure like you're you're, you're what are you're, you asking you're, well you're, you're saying you're saying you're saying the film is too linear <laughs> by and by inciting <laughs> inciting larry reed but he's not the character we follow from beginning to end in this movie we see all of these characters at various points but, before we get to the algiers the algiers no, is a shared look you're correct in that like the bulk of the movie the real dramatic center which is like the 60 or 90 minutes or so is more or less in real time right um and mm -hmm. we to different perspectives insofar as like people are being pulled into different rooms of the hotel but there is a sense of like this is all happening kind of in a linear sequential fashion but not focus on one character it doesn't know, yeah, but, but it doesn't matter character. because they're all because they're all in separate areas so they're all in separate areas so we have to switch back and forth but that's all linear too so if it all takes place in one night it's all it's all linear the fact it's, that they're in one room just makes it more static, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a spatial it's thing. It's not about, like, we're seeing it yeah. from all different perspectives. But I'm not seeing it from one specific person's eyes, either. Yeah, I agree with you that you're not. But at the same time, they're not really delving deeply into, like, how somebody else felt about it. I mean, like, sure, you get the Auntie Mackie story, but then you also have the two girls, and then you also have... Just the other guys that are with What them. depth do I need? I'm seeing people getting hurled racial epithets at them for 90 minutes. I feel like I got I all I need as far as the that. reaction is going on. I don't know what further... Totally... I'm not sure what further depth I need from characters that are being treated horribly. Like, I, 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 I'm in the situation they're presenting me with. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is is more so that... Well, okay, because you're presented within the same room, and yeah, things are... Yeah, racial epithets are being thrown at them from all these different things, and they're also being... Uh, physically abused it's like yeah okay well I get that and I'm just waiting now for what's gonna happen like what when's the other shoe gonna drop and when it does drop yeah of course I was like what the fuck did that guy just yeah but do? during during these during this waiting period I am learning about these characters I'm learning about who Mackie is I'm learning about who Poulter is I'm learning about who Boyega is I'm learning about who Smith and or out or out Larry Reed and Jacob Lattimore's character I'm, I'm seeing there wasn't any I totally any did not get as much of a depth as perhaps you did because I, I wish I could get more tension out of this scene. The, there's just not as much as perhaps I was led to believe. And I'm not looking for, like, terrible things to happen to people, uh, especially given that this is a real-life scenario and real-life situation. I'm just more thinking, like, in terms of, like, a movie, this tension is just not there. So, Abe, are you saying that you felt that that – the sequence in the hotel, right, the kind of the main chunk of the movie – it sounds like you felt it was just spinning its wheels a little bit, like it had no dramatic momentum or anything like that. So I'm, I'm just curious. Kind of, yeah. Do you mean in terms of it just kind of, it just kind of stopped and stopped producing any real dramatic payoff, or that it was just kind of prolonged and exploitative? It was prolonged. So it's so not even exploitative. Like, it's just more that it's like it's a pretty prolonged sequence that really ultimately ends up with them uh, having to do terrible things, right? And then it just goes really quickly into like this this legal affair part, and I was like, I wish I had seen more of that too. So, I mean, I'd agree, I I'd agree, with Dave, that the the third act is feels really rushed and just kind of slapped on. No, I, I feel as if the I feel if the third act took longer, I'd be well, I'd be angrier leaving the theater. But I I already know that's, where it's going to go, well, I and would I think, want to feel, but I would yeah, want to but, feel more angry. <laughs> I was angry as is, but I feel like the third act of the film, which is a legal proceeding, I already I think. Most of the audience, if you want to talk about knowing where it's going to go, that's where I already know it's going to go. I already know 
what the what's going to be the kind of the verdict in all of this, which is frustrating, but also kind of the point. I think I, there's no point of of riding into the you know holding on to this moment for way longer when it's going to there's an inevitable conclusion to it, and I think that's part of the point of the movie as a whole. But but Aaron, aren't you basically saying like I know where this is going to go? So the last act where we find out that you know uh, things happen the way they do, and sure. yeah, police corrupt and the institutions always win and etc that's the part that we know and we can predict right off the bat so therefore it's the least necessary aren't you essentially saying that that all the film really has to say for itself is racism is bad and don't you find that kind of that's kind of boring i mean you can you argue can that, that about any, any number of movies about race though i mean it's a part of yeah. it's still part of seeing the filmmaking process at work and how they interweave these characters and who these characters well, are I, it's, it's well, let me ask the, let me ask that, you this question here so you have a scene where John Boyega is being—he's working at his—he's uh, working the steel uh, factory, and then all of a sudden, um, he's being questioned by these two cops, right? And the two cops are like, "Well, you know, you carry a, a specific uh, round of revolver, don't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, well, I do." And then he gets put into prison, uh, or I guess he gets put into a holding cell, right? It's like, what just happened here? Like, I—I I, I don't understand if you guys are trying to be like the good guys or the bad guys or whatever the case. Because later, those same two cops already know who shot the people in the hotel. Well, so where's they, that they gray? Call... Like, where's that gray there? Like, I would have loved I... to have just experienced more of that. Like, well, John Boyega is like, yeah, well, wh why are you guys putting this on this guy? And then it's like, it, well, it's pretty clear later that, well, we just wanted to, we just needed to have him there. It's like, well, did you guys need to show him being jailed? It's like, that's ridiculous. That's like a waste of of uh of me trying to feel sort of any sort of empathy or or fright for this guy but i mean i think that's part of what makes boyega's character interesting is that he's in this weird gray area of being both an authority right. figure and a black man and the way they right. play with that well okay so can i jump in about the boyega character and sure. um and it's it's you know john boyega's great it's it's the character uh because I can't remember his name, so... Melvin. Oh, come on, Demutes. Mike, no. <laughs> Demutes, <What>? yes. Demutes. <laughs> yes. Demutes. Look, look, John Boyega's fantastic, and when Finn and Poe Dameron end up having a love affair, it's <laughs> marvelous, okay? That's but gonna happen to the, uh, I've been, the fan fiction. The next one, yeah. The, the I'm finding myself really, like, ping-ponging back and forth between listening to you guys in terms of what to make of the Boyega character, because on the one hand, uh, you, you know, there's some... some say he's complex and he's interesting and then others say well no there are shortcomings and unfortunately the film given its limited runtime has to bounce between different characters and i feel like boyega to me is the perfect example of of some of the shortcomings of the film and i think so so let me explain and then maybe abe will agree um i feel like even though the performance is good even though the character is interesting doesn't really address deeper issues, not to my satisfaction anyway, that circle around the nature of the Boyega character. He's seen, he's there, he's witnessing everything. He's very perturbed by what he's seeing, but doesn't really intervene. And then later we're supposed to switch and sympathize with him when it looks like they're going to frame him for a second. But there's never really any dramatic payoff or any real depth to the question of whether he's like guilty or complicit or if he's in it trouble hand, it doesn't yeah. hand feed you anything i think there's but a purposeful ambiguity his character, to it. yeah his character is very nuanced but it's very real it's it's very we get everything we need to know he's stuck in a weird spot uh -huh. he's 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 working for essentially people that his community don't think are the enemy uh he's in this really strange scene over and over and over again where he's 
having to defend both sides. And he's the lowest ranked officer in the room. They treat him like garbage. And his his own people, his own community, they think he's scum. Yeah. So he's in this weird position when when all the black the 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 black people are being interviewed and everything like that. He thinks he's going to be interviewed too, and he's a suspect. He's he's lumped in. You go, oh yeah, I remember. He's lumped in with the with the officers, and, and he, there's nothing he can do. He can say anything he wants to say, but there's nothing really he can. He's in this weird spot in 1967 mm-hmm. where this is just the way it is. And I thought that was perfectly put forward through all those scenes that I. Yes, you could have had a whole movie with him. But through what I saw, I got it. I got his character, and his that I got why his character was so brilliant, and I got why John Boyega was so uh, uh, he wanted to play that character, and I got it. That character is nuanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where I kind of disagree because what you're saying is fantastic, and I I agree with it, and it's really well put. Um, and I'm finding myself totally on board with what you got out of his character i just personally didn't think the film did a particularly good job or kind of you know deep job of taking the implications of his character and the 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 kind of weird racial hierarchy that he finds himself in as kind of an authority figure but one that's like really low on the totem pole in that situation someone who could have intervened but didn't um to me, that brings up bigger questions vis-a-vis the like sort of the institution of the police and things like that. And and what you know your rejoinder to my complaint there was is really terrific. But I just I did not find the film um, satisfactorily kind of presenting that. And this if you that, if I mean, you were able to get all that out of it, then like you you read well, a lot. It's just, it's just we couldn't see a two and a half hour movie about the John Boyega character. We couldn't see a two and a half hour movie about the military character. Mm-hmm. We just didn't see it. They, they, they were focusing on the incident and the aftermath of the incident. This is, if we saw that character, then you would see everything you wanted to see laid out. But I didn't need to see that. It was nuanced enough. They did such a good job that I didn't need to see it. I wanted to see more, but I didn't need to. I got it. Mm. I, I got it. This is okay, this, this is what this is the question. Because like, when I I said earlier how it seems like people forget how to watch movies, and I'm not saying like Mike. I know you're a smart guy. I know you know how to watch. You, you don't have to. You don't have to be like. like you don't have to be. What a about perfect, me? You, you're God. You're fine. <laughs> you, okay, but but I, what I'm saying, you don't even have to. You know, it's not like you need a, you know, a doctorate to watch this movie and get what's going on. But I feel like there's some kind of like, there's suddenly like a higher level that this the movie like this needs to reach in order for you to be completely satisfied with the character where I think lesser movies or genre films or whatnot, you wouldn't have the same kind of questions for certain characters. You'd be like, you'd be very satisfied with the kind of information given if it's a scant amount, but you know, and allows for just nuance between character portrayal and what have you. And I wonder like, if you're saying you get what Marcus is saying and, and you can understand that that he was presented with this and you can you're you're fine that he was able to get this but you weren't satisfied with what the movie was doing i'm tr- like what else needs to be done here to, within the confines of a two and a half hour movie to make it satisfactory because i don't think you're i don't think you don't understand this character like i think you can you get the, the basics of what he's doing here well it, may, it might maybe go back to what abe was saying in terms of just like how elongated or um 
uh, static, the, the central sequence in the hallway of the hotel. And Abe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, I think, I mean, you're setting up a little bit too far of a pendulum between I like people who need everything spoon fed to them versus people who can like uh, get maximum uh, information out of minimal performance and minimal screenwriting and nuance and whatnot. But I feel like it's important to keep in mind that the film is about larger it's like very declarative we're we're about a bigger set of issues and the bigger set of issues for me with the boyega character has to do with like complicity so like like nw i'm gonna bring out some nwa here but like the fuck the police has that lyric about like black police showing up for the white cop about Mm -hmm. You know, sort of this idea of like traitorous black cops who who work, you know, who are more loyal to blue than they are to their own kind, and how a, de- a degree of black complicity can seep into this racist system. Um, that's why, for instance, I brought up Django earlier. The most interesting character to me in Django Unchained is Samuel L. Jackson's character because he's there essentially to show that the system of slavery was only sustainable if some slaves voluntarily chose to be part of the machinery instead of resisting it, right? And so to me, like, those really crucial questions about this complex web of who is involved in what levels of racism within the institution that we call the police is, like, really crucial to that character. And I... I, find that if we have to go digging too far to like glean that from that characterization, then the movies, you know, without having to spoon feed everything to us, it is maybe like missing a beat or two. But I think um, that Samuel J-, J Samuel Jackson character is spoon fed to us. He's a bad guy. This guy, he's not a bad guy. He's not a good guy. He's uh, a man. He's, he's nuanced. He, he, you have to get it from, from the performance, from, from what they give you. But, but also, also uh, yeah, I'm not comparing those two directly because how do you compare Mark Bull to Quentin Tarantino? But um, well, Bull, but Bull did beat him for an Oscar. I think this is a character we we haven't seen much of, and I think people don't know what to do with it. Well, let me spin it in, in another direction, um, which is that would you agree that the film also feel or the screenplay or Bigelow, whoever kind of inserted this the film also seems to feel the need to insert good cops in random places almost as a way to insulate themselves from allegations that they're like hating on all cops like there's a cop who rescues right uh the main and right no no no. that saves yeah and he goes oh you'll be fine buddy yeah god who would do this and that line is so out of place because like dude you're out there patrolling because people are rioting and people are getting assaulted left and right dummy like, you're not a racist, we get it, but you're a terrible cop, right? right? It's like these scenes are inserted in there to kind of, I guess the word is spoon feed a certain sense of like, okay, well, listen, we're, we're, we're trying to present racial issues. We're being really delicate about it. So I feel like you can't have a scene that just Those feels scenes so, are so, so few and far between, though. There's like three. You're right, but they're in there, and there is a little bit of having our cake and eating it, too, in terms of, like, we're going to be really subtle and really nuanced in this area, but when it comes to something... Three scenes in a two-and-a-half-hour film. (laughs) But so this is where I get back to my point about what Abe was saying, which is that um, I don't know 
I don't have a solution in terms of like, here's what we needed from the Boyega character. We need, maybe there's a deleted scene which would clear all this up, right? We needed I think, a, you need, I, think I think, if you don't, if you, I, I, well, I, the Boyega character, it seems like what a lot of people have problems with the Boyega characters, there's not enough scenes, right? Well, no, so I'm saying I don't know what the scene or the sequence of scenes would have been that would correct my Boyega problem, but perhaps like in its kind of, I would say voyeuristic focus on this singular event, which is what happened at the hotel, you end up like losing the opportunity to kind of tackle some of the adjacent issues with regard to the larger kind of um, sort of capital that the movie is supposed to be about. I I can agree with that on kind of basically a case-by-case basis as far as what viewer has what reaction to what scene. But at the same time, I'm I'm just I'm happy to respect what Bigel and Bull chose to show. I mean, they they're it's not like you know they know what film they're making. They know they could if they wanted to write it into the script instead of having totally. this chunk of the movie devoted to this, we can move into different directions. They could have done that, but they didn't. They chose to focus entirely on this for the for what no, I see I is, for what I see is the purpose of making you uncomfortable and not letting you kind of rest easy because it's broken up by cutting away every now and then or giving you some random other character that gives you his opinion. So just that you know the the visceral nature of the scene is is give you know you get a chance to calm yourself down before getting you know getting riled up again like a standard horror movie would by giving you like some kind of joke or something in between the scares. I and I can, I can get that how that doesn't play well with you Abe or with you I I see where there's clearly you know a separation between the two of us as far as how much we appreciated the how the tension was being played out. But I mean as far as I can take it on my own kind of subjective level I like that it didn't go away from it. It didn't cut away from the kind of the the intent, the horror film that we're being shown here. It didn't the, right, the, right. Kind of the consistent horror film we're being shown here. Sure, there's a I believe there's there's scenes that these two talented people could have filmed that showed you further perspectives on what's going on outside of the chaos in this specific room, going to the, the chaos outside of the specific room. But for what I saw within this film, I. I was I felt good about the what the, the the sorry I felt good about the movie that I received in the end. But, but Marcus, didn't you say that you felt the opening, the kind of intro, of the first act was a little yes like, clunky or slow going or something like that? I thought it was clunky. So when I first started watching this, because it was all it seemed like it was all over the place. But once it got together, I understood what it was doing. I even like the back half of this movie, which I feel like it's one of those things where. The movie essentially – the tension essentially ends outside of the Algiers and it goes mm-hmm. into that scene with, with the, uh, Boyega and that's basically where the tension ends. And now what we're watching is like a candles just slowly burn out. We know it's happening and that's a choice and we know it's happening and we, we know what's going to happen. Well, it's more of an epilogue we just than have to watch it. We, we do. It's, it's a longer conclusion than See, we're used to seeing in movies like this but it's – it's one of those things where the director said, watch this. We know what's going to happen, but watch yeah. this. It's a sad thing, but watch this. It's it's kind of – it's it's winding down, and this is how it ends with a, with a whimper, kind of just sit back and watch this. Yeah. And I so, understood. I forgave – I got that. And I got the beginning because when it got to the to the explosive scenes i go okay this is why this is what they wanted to do this they're doing the documentary thing i get it this is what they wanted to do and it all yeah. it made sense so i mean the reason i ask is because like i'm kind of fran- like imagining it in my mind as as aaron said kind of this 
horror movie in the middle framed in the beginning and in the end by the sort of documentary-esque larger historical project, right? Um, and so to answer an earlier question, it's not as though I would have ever wanted Boyega during the horror movie segment to just like sigh to himself and go, my God, what am I becoming? <laughs> or, you know, say something really... <laughs> yes. I, that should have really put that at home. Like that, that's not at all what I think the film needs. But in terms of putting us in the moment, that verite moment of the hotel and everything, um, as, as, as tense as it may be, as well executed as it may be, I feel like it doesn't sit that organically myself with the larger frame. And I think maybe I'm going to put this out there. Maybe like the problem is that the movie is called Detroit. I feel like maybe it's the wrong title for this movie because the movie is so much about a specific incident that occurred in, during the Detroit uh, riots. Um, uh, narratively, it's it's about the incident at the hotel, which is really what the film is about. But calling it Detroit wants to draw larger or wants us, it invites us to draw larger conclusions about how this incident is a microcosm of this very difficult relationship between police and the African-American community that this film really does, I feel, gloss over in conspicuous ways. In other words, like if they change the title to reflect the specific incident to like, I don't know, like racism motel or something like that. I like that. So that, that's not your career move, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Racism motel. Here's the Where's Eli Roth? Okay, so like, uh, like the 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 Algiers incident or something. I don't know if they change the title to something like that. And I'm just positing this. Um, it would potentially convert the film into a story about a little-known incident that occurred during the famous Detroit riots of 1967, which in turn speaks volumes about the police corruption that goes unnoticed and unacknowledged in our society. But by calling it Detroit, you take on these larger pronouncements about a history of an entire city and its people being symbolically reducible to this one incident at a hotel, and thereby you skirt over a lot of complexity that would have given this like very disturbing, brutal incident. And the but rise isn't, isn't what happened in the Algiers a microcosm of what happened in the first hour of the movie, or what happened in the first two minutes of the movie, or just the message? Feel, in isn't that the point? Yeah. I feel like, and again. Abe can back me up. I feel like sure. the complete I mean, narrative shift that yeah. it, it ends up like giving the central incident that's at the heart of the movie, like it could have given it a richer sense of context and historical perspective, which I think is missing because it turns into this yeah, kind of... You're allotting a lot to like a simple series of words. I mean, there's people that forget what movie they're watching by title and just are enjoying the movie that's on screen, screen in front of them so well, often. I'm, I'm I mean, obviously... Well, no, again, it's, it's not so much that... Titling, but... Yeah, like, so go ahead. Regardless, regardless of what the title is, I mean, I certainly understand what I was watching. It was just more that... Also, I also, I also want to point out the markets. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I do need to give it a second watch just to pick up that super nuance that uh, Bull was writing for Boyega's character. Because, um, like, well, maybe I did miss out on, on, on some of this stuff. But like, I don't really necessarily think that it's, it's more of like, well, you know... Uh, let's set things up so that we can specifically narrow in on this and then we'll just like ease it out like that. And I don't really think that it needs to be um, broken down like that. And I don't think that it's supposed to be broken down like that. I think that they are trying to make a much more like what we discussed earlier, a nuanced film. But with regard to the title thing, I don't, 
I, I really don't have any which way or that. I mean, it is what it is. I, I knew that they were specifically honing in on this specific incident during 1967 as well. So um, in, with regard to the title, I'm fine with the title. I just, again, it's more just the storytelling that I just wasn't uh, wasn't as engaged with. I also do want to point uh-huh. I was also half joking about the title, just so okay. Sort of sure. Guys really <laughs> well, I mean, because yeah, I've been guilty of this wanted... myself, where I think that War for the Planet of the Apes should have been the title of the second movie. Makes more sense, but you know, there we are. It actually are. does make more sense, <laughs> but that, that one does make sense. But with that being said, I just don't want. I, I also want to add very quickly that, um, like, I don't give a shit who directed this movie. Like, I, that was never my beef. Like, my beef was like, why would anybody ever write that? Well, just because. Uh, Catherine Bigelow is white and Mark Bull is white that they couldn't make a movie that was as right. as fierce or as like you know as um, daunting as this like who gives a shit I've seen some of the best shows that were you know The Wire is like one of my favorite shows of all time and that was like written by David Simon who was like this Jewish guy out of Baltimore right so it's like who gives a fuck if, this, if uh, Catherine Bigelow is white this is something that she's passionate about so if she's going to do the research and do it right, then let her have it. Like what, what you said earlier, Mike, you know, she's not a director for hire. So this is not something that's just like, I'm going to get a paycheck out of this and I'm going to jump into like Jurassic World Part 4. It's more of like, hey, I have a serious beef with this. I've done I've done some research on my own, much the same as she does for a lot of her movies. And I want to present this story that hasn't been told before. So, you know, to I, I briefly read the Roger Ebert review on this. And I was like, I can't read the rest of this because I don't agree with what this person well, is writing. It's told entirely it, from. It's yeah. I don't need to talk about other reviews on this show. But I mean, I yeah, think right. I think if Roger Ebert came back from the dead to review this, no, it's, it's a show on Robert RogerEbert That's the that's the review he's. That's right. Yeah, RogerEbert.com. I'm sorry. It's been Not Roger Ebert. Yeah. Yeah, Roger, the RogerEbert.com, I was just like, I can't read the shit out of this. Like, I'm going to stop right here because this is like this is not the way that you should be re- viewing this it's, movie it's a or reviewing subject. any. You know, yeah. Right. Well, so no, it's just, just that we brought it up earlier. I understand. Well, yeah, so. I understand. Well, can I can I build on this? I don't, I don't want to pose this as a challenge to Marcus, but like I I don't <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just I want to ask you a question that might lead to a productive follow up because yeah. so I, I normally don't like to read reviews and things before coming on to record with you guys because I prefer to just kind of riff with you and see where things go. But for this one, I did look at some of what people have been saying and the predominant impression I'm getting from African-American critics and people who are like pushing back against the film a little bit. I know I know the reviews on the whole have been very positive, but there are there is a contingency of people who are shrugging at this movie and commenting that for the African-American community, this movie hasn't taught them anything that they didn't already know about the issue. And so what exactly is this movie enlightening or what exactly is it teaching people? Um, what do you so my question is, what do you what is your response to that like contingency of people? I think it starts a conversation. Yeah, it, there's there's books there i guess there's this is in every medium there's books there's movies there's stuff there's nobody knows all the stories you know i think it it starts a good conversation i think a lot of black people knew the story of selma and that movie was made and maybe some people didn't know that story but see this is where i'm not saying Catherine bigelow is wrong for Catherine Bigelow should have like bowed out of this one or she's not at at, like full potential for this. What I am saying though, is that this is where the 
starting a conversation like the conversation that i find more productive is this issue of like like what do we do with the white director who let me put it this way i'll start over I've been really ambivalent about the interviews I'm seeing with Catherine Bigelow in which she says she keeps saying that her hope for this film and for tackling such loaded subject matter is, just as you say, to start a conversation. Now, I really admire Bigelow for diving into this. And by all accounts, she seems to acknowledge and be very forthcoming about the concerns she has about whether she's, you know, the right person to do this and whatnot and whether, you know, this is a contribution she can make. But the thing is, it's very clear to me that she is someone who pursues passion projects and wanted to contribute her voice on a very urgent conversation. This conversation needs, uh, sorry, a very urgent conversation that this country needs to confront about racist cops and the institutions that protect them. And to me, that's a very socially responsible and commendable use of her clout and her talents as a filmmaker, right? She's able to mobilize and get a film made Mm -hmm. that will reach wider audience And if that's what it means to, quote unquote, get a conversation started, that's totally commendable. At the same time, the complaint and some of the the, the pushback has been it's not as if this is a conversation that hasn't been going on for decades. It's just been going on among communities of color that are marginalized for mainstream society and marginalized within the industry that she herself works in. So every, but every, every so every, okay. Every so often though, whether it's five years, a decade, one year, what have you, there does come along a new piece of art, there a new piece of media, what have you, that does re-examine the, a, a situation, whether it's a new situation or one that's been prevalent for many years. And in addition to that, it is a film. It is a challenge that she made to herself and her team of filmmakers to make something that they wanted to make. And she didn't want to make another tentpole. She didn't want to make a horror movie. She, it is a horror movie. She didn't, want, she didn't want to make something, you know, that wasn't this. This is the this was her next project. It, the fact that it happens to also contribute to a conversation that's going on or has been going on or will continue going on or hasn't gone on enough, that's that comes in addition to this. But that's, I mean, the the her not that I can tell you exactly what Bigel, what's going on in Bigelow's mind, but her main drive here is to make a film that can challenge audiences in some way. Some audiences are challenged by you know, whether or not they're going to laugh in a comedy, and some audiences are challenged by whether or not they're going to respond to an unflinching drama. Well, I mean, she, she stated in interviews this exact line, um, you know, we're trying to start a conversation, and that her objective was, I guess, to paraphrase, to shed light on this and provoke dialogue about the volatile nature of race relations um and through a unique story that hasn't really been told before yeah no no totally agree and and i'm also really i you know i would hate to come across as trying to sound at all like uh i'm making the claim that only black filmmakers can tackle black issues i I don't think you're trying to say that i understand that or only an lgbt person etc etc or or even catherine bigelow herself because she's a woman there must be some feminist lens through which her films must be decoded or something right i mean that's part of what makes bigelow so cool is that her career circumvents a lot of those presuppositions but nonetheless there has been this conversation this side conversation a really tricky and uh kind of difficult to reconcile one about a white screenwriter and a white director taking it upon themselves to start the conversation. In other words, to educate viewers about issues of race by subjecting us to two hours of black bodies being abused. And I think that is the crux of why some people are kind of, kind of, you know, scrunching their noses at this movie. And I'm not saying I'm hundred percent on board. Like I said, from the very get go, I'm on the fence but I find myself kind of able to understand where that 
perspective comes from as well. And I've seen I've I've seen interviews with her. She she doesn't come off as arrogant or high and mighty, and she's introducing a she's discovering fire or something like that. She I think she's pretty competent, and she knows exactly. She knows people probably know this story, and a lot of people don't know this story. And she's introducing it to that majority that don't know this story. In addition to yeah, making I mean, a film that features various actors that could, you know, use yeah. use the screen right. time to prove themselves in some way, showing off the talents of various production designers and what ha- just a variety of things right. that make a film a film. Yeah, and it's an exceptionally well made movie. No one's no one's knocking its craftsmanship. I, I understand that, and I, I understand, and I, and I don't believe you're saying that Bigelow is sounding full of herself for her interviews. I think you're, no, speaking, you're yeah. speaking to and, another audience oh. that's commenting on this, and I can't honestly, I just can't speak for them. What I know, it's, is... it's why I keep tiptoeing around. Like I keep like, on the one hand, I love Bigelow. On the other hand, like I feel like this is an issue, um, mm. you know. So, so I'm trying to watch my words here a little bit too, because I don't want to be misconstrued. Um, and then, like I said, also, like we're having at some point, we're going to have two separate conversations about whether the movie is good in that it's well made and dramatically impactful and all those things versus like interrogating what delicate position it occupies in our cultural landscape. It's like a very like unsolvable, but nonetheless kind of macro issue right which is kind of in some way separate from whether the movie is any good and, or not. and, so and maybe i think this I, I, I believe the three of us disincluding abe because he doesn't think it's tense enough i think we all think it's pretty well made <laughs> um, <laughs> what are you talking about i said that it was well made i love the craftsmanship uh, yeah movie. i know i'm just, I'm, like, I'm, I'm joshing i'm joshing <laughs> don't don't make the listeners think that i'm like this bigot over here president abe doesn't care about black <laughs> okay <laughs> but no i i, I oh, think no. okay but to, okay but to, yeah so i think i'm gonna <laughs> On the technical side, obviously, I think we're all in agreement that, yes, it is well made and to varying degrees, it's effective as far as its visceral nature and what it's trying to go for. As far as the other question that you're asking, I mean, (laughs) again, I can only go so far as far as speaking to who I am and what I got out of this movie versus what others are taking away from it. And the conversations that it's it's trying to create, I could say as a mixed race person who has dealt with various racial things in the past, like it's a movie that I do think regardless of who made it spoke to a lot of emotions that I've had in the past and th- and factors into a conversation that I could have in the future about movies and pieces of media that tackle this kind of subject matter, let alone uh, getting using as a break, a break off point into other conversations that go beyond just Detroit or beyond the nature of, of racism within the law enforcement and what have you. Like, I think there's a lot of, there's a chain, there's a chain reactions that can occur from just using this as one of the many forms of media as a conversation starter so so you think so so you think the film in its small way or possibly not so small way obviously if it goes on to win 12 oscars then its profile goes up or maybe it just kind of makes no money and disappears but in its its capacity whether that ends up being really minute or really kind of enormous it is contributing to a general awareness among people about what exactly i th- okay i think um that racism is bad well yeah but shut up let me give you, let me form a <laughs> you give me a convoluted question i have to give you a convoluted answer so give me a second <laughs> convolute convolute me provolute i think by the end of this year 
um regardless of the other movies that come out i mean i'm sure this one will still come in the conversation for me specifically because i gave it five out of five stars so it's by default going to be in my top 10 list um that it's both a movie that represents what i got out of this year from the movies it's a movie that can if we were to talk about this year as in not just in the year in movies but this year i can bring right. the, i can this is an example i can bring up as far as the state of america um if not the world but america uh today this is this can be used as a as a talking point within a conversation that would lead me into things going on is it going and as a supplying me as far as what message i got out of this film as far as like race be, racism being bad yes obviously that's a that's a very you know that's an easy way to kind of sum up the experience, but I can sum up that experience. You knew that going in. Yeah, I can sum up that from a number of various things you can bring up in a conversation to help expand on one's information they're being told about something or why you think one thing one way. I mean, there, I, it's it becomes a part of the conversation, and in addition to becoming a part of the conversation, it also happens to be what I found to be a well-filmed piece of entertainment. Is it entertaining? Of course, it's not entertaining. Like, it, I mean, there's things about it you can admire, or what have you, but it's not a it's not a fun watch. But it, it's a piece of media that I, I admired for a number of reasons. Yeah, and I know what you mean when you say like I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed yeah, yeah. Detroit. By which I mean I don't mean I really enjoyed it. Blah blah blah. Like it, it's you found it very compelling. I found it effective for what it's trying to yeah. do. Um, can can I throw out another question? I don't know how long you want let's, to keep let's, going, let's make but... this the last question <laughs> yeah I, I think it's something that also just came up in my admittedly very brief research on um like i was like everyone's loving this movie it's a love fest I, i'm i'm more interested in hearing what the contrarians have to say and another thing that came up um that i want to ask you guys is what do you make of the criticism that's out there from several critics that there's no women in the film because to me, this is an interesting question when you place it in the context of Catherine Bigelow's kind of career as a director going back decades. She has made a career out of films that are principally about masculinity or the bonds that form between men or women working within masculine institutions and things like that. So um, I think I mean, to me, but, the answer seems clear. Where where are these women supposed to be? And you can argue, yes, it's the wives and what have you. But doesn't that just lead to stock characters of wives crying because of a situation that happened? I just I don't see what the I don't see what there the, are two. There, OK, so the two women, yes, the two women in the are both the, small parts, but they give them stuff to do. They, they These are fully fleshed characters. Not that they give them something to do, but these are fully fleshed characters. These are for for the small parts that they have. You're talking about like the women in the uh, the two white women in the Algiers the, hotel, the yeah, two women the that are against the wall with the black men for all of the movie. They play a huge role, right? But mm -hmm. they the, they make a big point of reinforcing the fact that their presence in the hotel is to reinforce the racism that's directed at the black men, right? There's even a line where someone says later, like, "Oh, oh, if it had been reversed, if it had been white men and black women, none of this would have been an issue." So it does circle back to the operative prejudices of the police against black males, right? Okay, but that so doesn't discount the fact that there are women in the film. And again, this is a situation that, by all accounts, happened. So, like, where where are these... Uh, I mean, the, your initial question is, where are the women in this film? What other women are supposed to be here? That's nitpicky. Well, let, let, me, let me put it this... So let me frame it this way, if you don't mind indulging me for just a second um 
it reminded me a lot actually about my reaction to birth of a nation which we talked okay. about podcast mm-hmm. from last year so not the original gw griffin right yeah, remember we talked about that one it was a, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. a gas <laughs> <laughs> if, if my memory serves, I was wait. Particularly... Were we? We were both on that. No, no. You, no, no, he, no, he, no Mike no, was no. on this podcast for that one. I don't remember who I was. I on think with. I was on that one. <laughs> of course. Were you? Different. Yeah, I think so. Of course. Okay. Yeah. If, okay. if anyways, anyways. Serves, yeah, if my memory serves, um, were you? Were you the one who called it basically like a Braveheart narrative? I mean, I think most yeah, people, most people. Yeah, call it a Braveheart I mean, narrative. I, mean I, I would have called it that too, but. Yeah, maybe we were on together. I'm looking it Hello. up, but we'll, go on. Go on, Mike. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, anyway, if my memory serves, I was particularly hard on that film for two reasons, and entirely separate from how that movie was kind of derailed by the Nate Parker rape allegations, which we, uh, I think, spent a lot of time talking about. Um, the the One major concern was that this that movie had all this hype around it because it sparked this record-setting bidding war after Sundance, and it was right at the height of, like, Oscars So White. And so from the word go, that movie was being talked about as this movie that could counter certain perceptions that Hollywood um, had a diversity problem. And there was this fresh and exciting film that was, like, going to be clearly a front-runner for next year's Oscars. And then when we saw it, it turned out to be pretty conventional, basically. It's Braveheart. Um, it's not... With the exception of like this very clever appropriation of the build movie it back title. into build it back into the women thing because that's the only thing we're going over. Sorry, what? Right. Build it okay, back yeah, to the yeah, point. Yeah. yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, the second, so so there's an issue with like the film not being that great. Um, but the reason I had a problem with that, and this does get to the women thing, I got downright depressed seeing how conventional the movie was because of the fact that. It indicated to me that Hollywood was climbing all over itself to distribute this film because from a business standpoint, movies about black suffering are still considered a good investment for general audiences. Now, connected to that, the second major concern and complaint I had with Birth of a Nation is that part of the hype around that movie, much like with Detroit, was, of course, framed by the ever-widening Black Lives Matter movement. That was the cultural context of the moment that elevated that to a very important movie with Oscar prospects. But when you actually see the film, its gender politics are pretty grotesque because it presents women as as women as just persistent victims of rape who need protecting. And the men are the ones who rise up in the name of justice. Now, part of the problem with that dynamic is that it's just gross when you consider it's being delivered by a, a guy who himself has been accused of rape. But it also privileges masculine and patriarchal solutions to the race divisions in America. Make, if you can make that argument, you can make that argument with that one. How can you make that argument with Detroit? If so, this no, is the way it went down. Give me a second, I'm getting there, right? Um, I felt that Birth of a Nation has a problem in how it privileges masculine solutions to really complex social uh, divisions in America when a big percentage of the Black Lives Matter movement, which gives that film a kind of cultural legitimacy, and the community that it directly impacts our women, right? I don't have the exact math, but I'd venture that women make like, I don't know, 50% of that movement. And I feel like Detroit has the same problem, which is that it reduces all this racial discord be- like between the black community and the police through the lens of black male suffering and leaves women out of the picture completely. Now you're totally right. Where would the women have, be, have, have been, right? We're focusing on an incident in a hotel in which there are a couple of like minor or smaller women characters, but you're right. There was no place in this particular story 
to insert female perspectives. But this is where it comes back to the very fascinating question of whether Catherine Bigelow is the right person for this type of film, not because she's a woman, but because she's a woman with a very established interest in stories about men. Does that make sense? Is that kind of like it makes sense? But you just—it seems like you're talking yourself into a circle. Because like I don't. Again, it's the film has a specific focus. If it was a film called Detroit that wasn't focused specifically on this Algiers Motel incident, then sure, I I I don't know where else it would. I mean, it could go in any number of directions given the you know the length of the riots and whatever story they want to tell. If they just want to tell a completely made up story that happens to feature this as a historical context, but I I don't know what the I I don't know where you where the kind of the point is going to be as far as what the point, no the point the point is this because i initially wanted to react to when aaron you said that this is an important document to put out there and maybe this is not the movie that's gonna like change people's minds or get people woke but it's going to be a contributing factor right at some point this is going to reach critical mass and this movie has the potential to be one of the the stepping stones to get us there what i'm saying is that yes that may be true but this movie still does have what I think to be issues about how we look at like black and not just black, but also black male suffering in certain contexts. And it still perpetuates certain problems. Now it has nothing to do with Bigelow's talents or it has nothing to do with Bigelow's intentions. No, but it has to do with Bigelow's, you know, the choices that she makes and she's made those choices and she made a film that is very much a Bigelow movie. It is a very masculine movie. It happens to have yeah, this subject matter, but she didn't I'm stray saying, from yeah. things that she's known for doing. Right. But I think that's, where it gets kind of complex and interesting. You're saying this movie may prove to I be mean, a it, very You can say it's complex and interesting, but you're also asking for a movie that this isn't. That might oh, be true. I'm not <laughs> sure what movie I'm asking for. No, no, you know what? That's not true. I, 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 don't, I take that back. I'm not asking for a different movie. I'm simply trying to get my head around the fact that when you say this is an important movie to have out there, I'm saying, yes, it has the potential to start that capital C conversation, but the movie is still perpetuating certain iconography of how we look at black body suffering that doesn't, in my mind, make it that, that in, uh, dissimilar to something like Birth of a Nation. I think the movie may still be kind of disseminating narrow-minded ways of discussing racism in America. So the only thing the only thing I can say to that is that it's just one movie and I, I don't think there's one movie that's going to set out to just you know just break every single barrier and join everybody because one movie did it that then that'd be one hell of a filmmaker if they're able to but I just specifically said that I know you're not saying that okay but you know I, I well, all I'm saying is that all of this stuff to me like the identity politics of it and like whether Bigelow is the right person the wrong person all, all of those questions that aren't it's not me asking this is like out there in the ether right now it's not problematic so much as deserving our skepticism and further interrogation how about that is that a compromise it's a compromise it's just it's not one that it's <laughs> it's not one that i i see eye to eye on but like i can't i i can't again i can only speak for myself on this <laughs> let's all breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> group hug let's move let's move on we've gone on quite a long time about detroit um which i expected to an extent but with all this in yeah, mind with all this in mind marcus when should people see this movie in theater right when should people <laughs> the see theater this movie? most definitely you, you know what i think theater I theater mike okay. when should people see this movie 
I say theater, but for different reasons, because I, I'm I'm all about discourse. So yeah, like go go see it so that you can hop on and get fired up about conversations about it because you can't until you do. Abe. Yeah, I'm, uh, I say more of a Blu-ray Netflix, or not Netflix, Blu-ray uh, Redbox. <laughs> Netflix would be too low for that. Uh, yeah, I would obviously, Marcus, I would say theater. I, it is currently my favorite movie of the year. I, I think it has a lot going for it. Um, so, yeah. More than Kong, huh? Uh, Kong's in the top 10, too, so far. We'll see what happens. There's only something in the rest of the year has to beat the out year's Kong. not over yet. Come year's on, not over. Who knows I'm what's not, on that I'm Blu-ray? Not, I'm not over it. Kong is, like, my least favorite movie of the year. you got to see more movies this year. Maybe. <laughs> 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 I really... Uh... <laughs> Let's move on now. Let's... I, I only love hating on Kong because I know you loved it so much. So, <laughs> I mean, Yang, my friend. Because uh, it's like you're trying to get to me, and yet I'm just going to be here in this Kong bubble of appreciation because I loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know such things existed. Did they sell it over at Target? Mm-hmm. They're right next to the John C. Riley beards. Oh, come on. Terrific in that movie. Sweet. Deserves an yeah, Oscar. Yeah, he is. <laughs> All right, let's do some out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over some of the various questions and answered on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast, where we go over the number of questions on our Facebook page. Um, you listeners gave us answers that we had questions for, and you then gave us, although I didn't think we got any questions this week, which is fine because we've been going long. So let's get this started. Favorite Catherine Bigelow film, Greg Ride's Strange Days. Haven't revisited that in a minute, but such fond memories. Chris writes, being a water sports guy, I really like Point Break, but also love Hurt Locker. Oh, further to my email, I live in the UK now, so, so I so guess we, we can't send you stuff, Chris. <laughs> well, it's also because you, uh, you were you were debating whether or not he was in the UK or in France. Yeah. You didn't know, so now you know. <laughs> now we know. Uh, from the show, Amy writes, I have a soft spot for Strange Days, also Near Dark. Justin has Strange Days and Point Break. Tyler has probably Zero Dark Thirty. Philip agrees and writes Zero Dark Thirty. And lastly, JP writes, The Hurt Locker is my favorite. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty all the way for me. I really love Point Break and Strange Days as well. Yeah. You guys have favorite Catherine There's... Bigelow movies? I have to say Detroit, honestly. There you go. Uh, I'll go Point Break. Have you guys heard this theory about Point Break that um, Johnny Utah is a Mormon and Bodhi is a Buddhist and it's about like religious harmony? I, I've heard that one before, yeah. yeah I think and I heard it on like Cracked Podcast or something. Uh, next question we have here. What are your favorite films about ongoing struggles? Greg writes, not sure that A League of Their Own counts. It counts. It's a struggle. It counts. It's just slight. Yeah. Philip writes, take shelter. It's a good answer. And Justin mm-hmm. writes, do the right thing, which is not a good answer. Um, you guys have any other favorite films about struggles? Uh, Zombieland. Well, he's trying to find Twinkies. <laughs> so that's that's an ongoing struggle. He finds one, yeah, finally. Yeah, yeah. I was saying Boys in the Hood or something like that, but Zombieland is good. (laughs) (laughs) It's Ice Age because you can't get that acorn. You can't get that acorn. (laughs) That struggle has gone on like a decade and a half, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Well, now that you've said Ice Age and Zombieland, I can't go with Boys in the Hood, so I'll just go with (laughs) Since I mentioned Bloodfather, I'll just say um, Mel Gibson's ongoing struggle with alcoholism and aging. 
What is your <laughs> next question? We have is what is your favorite film about a hostage situation? Greg writes Park Chan Wook's cut segment from Three Extremes or the original Saw. Justin writes well again here would be Black Hawk Down, but all time favorite might have to be Die Hard. Callum writes Young Sean Austin and Toy Soldiers. There's a reference. Chris writes From Dusk Till Dawn. Catherine writes Dog Day Afternoon. Adam Gentry, friend of the show, writes A Hijacking, and Philip writes Argo. Hmm. Dog Day is a good one for me. Yeah, Dog Day Afternoon. I, I, I do yeah. love From Dusk Till Dawn. I probably wouldn't have even thought of that, but that's a good call. Pretty yeah. liberal definition of a hostage situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'd have to throw in the ref with Dennis Leary and Kevin Spacey. <laughs> nice. That's a good one, and it's Christmas that's movie a too. Good, really good. <laughs> I'll say for fun TBS points, as in if it's on TBS, I'll watch it. The Negotiator. That's a good one that too. Was, that was like those dinner in a movie. Mm-hmm. That was like, like one of those dinner in the movie movies. Like I got stuck watching <laughs> Money Talks the other day. It was just I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch some. <laughs> Money Talks with uh, oh, Chris Danny DeVito and Martin Lawrence. No, that's that's what the worst could. Be. No, 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 not at all. Why do I keep on not even close? The one with, uh, I'm sorry, the one with uh, Chris Paul Tucker. Guy. Chris Tucker. Yeah, Chris Tucker, Tucker and, uh, and Sheen, Charlie right? Sheen. Yeah. What do you mean you were stuck watching this? Were you in a hostage situation? No, it's just like, it's not. It's like, I like this movie just enough where I'm like, I'm doing other things in the background. Someone, I can leave this on. Someone orange you to a chair and make you watch 20 talks? <laughs> That'd be awful. That Are you be... still in that chair? Do you need us to go and intervene? I wouldn't be too upset if I was stuck in that chair watching Money Talks. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you are performing magnificently on this podcast, given that you can't blink. <laughs> yeah, but he's got eye droplets to keep his eyes moist. Mm-hmm. Anyway, shout out favorite to, shout out to the technician behind you who's doing the eye drops. Here you go. That's, uh, that's a spooky fat. Uh, next question: Favorite films featuring real life villains? Greg writes the Naked Gun series. Question mark. <laughs> OJ. <laughs> uh, uh, Philip has Zodiac. Uh, Justin has The Untouchables. Uh, Chris writes Wolf of Wall Street, and lastly, friend of the show Jordan has Time After Time. That's a good pick. I like that Zodiac pick myself. I think that's a good one. That's a spooky one. That's an interesting pick. Yeah. Next question we ask is a uh, favorite Idris Elba roles. Uh, Chris writes Luther. Nippon writes Stringer Bell and Beast of No Nation. Philip writes Luther. Scott writes uh, Stringer Bell from The Wire and Stacker Pentecost from uh, Pacific Rim. And finally, Jay, friend of the show, writes Fluke from the Sea Lion from Finding Dory. <laughs> oh, nice. <clears throat> no Jungle Books? He's great he's as Shere Khan in that movie. Like, yeah, it's very, very menacing. menacing. Yeah. Well, Boom! Uh, Drinks, buy me a Coke. You know what? Am I the only one that liked No Good Deed? I, I, I love No Good Deed. That's certainly a movie that he's in. Is... <laughs> I loved it. I have it on Blu-ray. That's the because that title's so generic. That's the one with Tajiraji P. Henson, right? That is that generic one. Yeah, she's stuck in a house with him mm-hmm. and a, a white girl, and it plays up all the negative stereotype stuff. But yeah. I loved it. I thought he was great in it. I was we like, I have, have to uh, do a DVD commentary for us. Thank you. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, next question we asked everybody What are your favorite westerns not set in the Old West? And this was in reference to Dark Tower. Dark Tower. Uh, Chris has, I think I've said it before, but No Country for Old Men. Would Fury Road count? If so, that too. Well, it's not the Old West, that's for sure. It's an old, new, apocalyptic West. Uh, for the show, Amy writes, I think it counts, smiley face, because it's my answer too. There you go. Uh, Justin has Star Wars. Well, that's obviously Jay doesn't count because that's a long time ago, so that is the Old West. <laughs> Jay writes Rango, which is a good answer. And lastly, Philip has Big Triple and Little China. Hmm. Hmm. Western's not set in the Old West. 
there was that there was that ro- the rover i really liked the rover the rover yeah with guy pierce from rover happens yeah i really like that that uh when we were talking about uh it comes at night because we were kind of impressed with joel edgerton's output yeah like he, he's right. not in the rover. I think he wrote it. He yeah, yeah. He's part. It's part of that school of uh, David Michaud, yeah. Joel Edgerton, and Nash Edgerton, who like write and direct movies and produce. Actually, them. there's another. There's a more traditional Western Western, but it's set in Australia. It's also Guy Pierce. The preposition, called the preposition, which is amazing. Yeah, that's a great movie. Uh, that's like 2006, I think. Yeah, mm. that's, a, that's a really good one though. Uh, last question we have here: favorite films about people who get visions or can see the future. Uh, Philip writes Arrival, and Joe writes Donnie Darko. Mm, those are both good answers. Can I throw in Dead Zone? The ice! Sure it's play? gonna break! <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't write it. <laughs> <laughs> People who get visions or can see into the future. Yeah. Mm. X-Men Apocalypse. The sh- shut up. There the Shining. <laughs> the Shining. The Shining. Yeah. Oh, I forgot the Shining. All right, well, that's feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Let's move on now. Let's get to Abe. Do you do you have a quick game for us? I have a very quick game for you guys. It's a quick theme. Fun fact: that's actually the song that plays during uh, I don't know what. It's it's what <laughs> Jason Mitchell plays before he shoots the blanks and causes the whole problem. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's that's the one. Yeah, causes the whole problem. Anyway, it's called Top Ten, and uh, essentially what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you guys the top ten folks on imdb for a movie and you guys have to name the movie the theme this week are movies that have a city in their title wait so the top 10 like of a cast yes top 10 of a cast so you're gonna read the cast so, members from a movie yep and we have to guess the, the movie the word city or an actual location like new york or Chicago? oh actual location actual location so not like yeah. Detroit Rock City. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, that that would actually that would be a clever one to have though. Yes, yeah. hmm. Anyhow, uh, City. and do we just yell out our name when we think we know it? Yell out your name and give me the title of the movie if you think you get it. And you're probably so gonna go, go from the bottom of the list, I'd assume, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Unless, uh, <laughs> unless of course I want to throw it up and give Marcus a few points. Okay. So Marcus, be on the list now for uh, for the top. I'm just zone. gonna put my I'm gonna put my head down. Okay. All right. Heads up, seven up, guy. <laughs> Here we go. Mike O'Malley. Rob Corddry. Thomas Lennon. Aaliyah Shawkat. Hmm. Um, Mike. Mike. Is it like a Reno 911 type thing? It's not Reno 911. Is that even a movie, actually? There was that, a movie. They did make but a couple of movies, yeah. There's one movie. But that's, but, that's yeah, not what this one is. Hold, okay, hold on. Keep going. Moving forward, Kurt, Kurtwood Smith. I should know this right Steven now. Root. Aaron. Isaiah Aaron. Aaron. Is Cedar Rapids. That's right. It is Cedar Rapids. There it is. Next one here. <laughs> Kevin Rankin. Griffin Dunn. Dallas Roberts. Mm-hmm. Aaron. Michael O'Neill. Aaron. Is it 310 to Yuma? That threw 10 to Yuma. Ah, okay. Next, Steve Zahn. Dennis O'Hare. Jared Leto. Oh. Da- oh, Marcus. Marcus. Dallas Buyers Club? 
That's right, yeah. It's Dallas oh, Buyers Club. Marcus on the board! Oh, man, that means I win. I, I pride myself <laughs> on knowing Dallas Roberts films, so I thought it was 310 Yuma. <laughs> That's actually that was that was pretty that was good. good. I was like, "Whoa, is he gonna get this?" On well, there's well, two people you mentioned are in three ten to you, but that's why I got me. <laughs> I I need clarification on your you're reading cast members, but in yes. like reverse order or yes, something? reverse order. Yeah, uh, so yeah, basically reverse order to the most uh, to the most top from the least obvious okay. to the most obvious. So yeah, yeah they're gonna okay. be more obscure and more specific. Okay, so with that last one, if we had stayed silent, you would have gotten all the way up to McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Well, he's, yeah, he said Jared Leto. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah right. uh, next here. Yeah, Tied... What's that? No, I, I'm just kind of kidding. <laughs> next one here. Tide Kearney. Craig Bierko. Mm-hmm. Michael Warwick. Catherine Helmond. Brian Barron. Larry Cedar. Michael Lee Gogan, Toby Maguire, Benicio del Toro, Johnny Depp. Oh, Mike. Oh, Mike. That's got to be Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's correct. <laughs> That's what it is. That's got to be like an order of appearance or something. If you're not getting, because you're, yeah. you're not getting like <laughs> Ellen Burstyn or Cameron yeah. or uh, Cameron Diaz yeah. it's or like, like yeah. Far yeah. yeah. Next nice one here. Gretchen Mole. Loose Reigns. Alan Tudyk. Vanessa Shaw. Aaron. <laughs> It's 310 to Yuma. Yeah. <laughs> you're the one that got it because I was like, oh, it's coming up, buddy. Dallas Roberts is coming up in there somewhere. <laughs> Dallas Roberts is like third build or fourth build. Okay. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Stephen Elliott. Jonathan Banks. Aaron. James. Was that who? Aaron. Aaron. Is it Beverly Hills Cop? That's yes, it is Beverly Hills. Wow. <laughs> Jonathan Banks, because wow. it's like, how many roles was he in before Breaking Bad? And I know that there's, That's true. it's a city in the title. It's Beverly Hills Cop. So. Uh, crushed it. I crushed that one. <laughs> Next one here, Kurt Schwitkart. Oh, the great Kurt Schwitkart. <laughs> Sally Wingard. Gary Houston. Tony Denman. Harv Presnell. Aaron. Aaron. Fargo. Right, it is Fargo. Uh, I built would have been William H. Macy. I was coming up on Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi, yeah. I'm... Knowing the category really helps me here. <laughs> this, is, this is doing it. Here we go. John Ortiz. Luis Tosar. Barry Shabaka. Uh, oh, Barry Shabaka Henley. Barry... Yeah, Barry Shabaka Henley. Justin Thoreau. Aaron. Aaron. Oh. Is, it, oh. is it Miami Vice? Right, it is Miami Vice. Yeah, John Ortiz. That's got to be order of appearance because, again, John Ortiz is Aaron. Here we go here. Ron Vacher. Charles Glenn. Jeffrey Williamson. Mark Sorensen Jr. Daniel Chapman. 
Karen Finley, Buzz Kilman, Roberta Maxwell, Denzel Washington, Tom Hanks. Aaron. Oh, Mike. Uh, I heard Aaron first. Phil- Philadelphia. Philadelphia yeah. is correct. Damn it. Uh, you guys will get this one here. Where was Mary Steenberg in that one? Again, it's order of appearance, so it's like she's not till like the yeah. end of that movie of the trial. Like some, like because Abe's going off IMDb, so sometimes they listed how it's yeah. billed, and sometimes, sometimes they listed just by yeah, it depends on on how the casting director did it or whatever the case. Any case, uh, Cole. This one's this one's a ten pointer. No, no, no this, <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll make it if you get it. Cole, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, all right. Oh. No, it's just one. Calm Fjord. John C. Riley. Roman Perhora, Bruce Beaton, Jane Eastwood, mm. Dominic West, mm. Renee Zellweger, Aaron, Mike, Aaron, Chicago, Chicago is uh, pretty, sure, pretty sure my name came up first, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll give you that one too, Mike. I'll give you that one too. I think we have a Skype delay, but that's okay. Blame the delay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no excuses. Yeah. Last one here. Eddie Marsan. Stephen Graham. Gary Lewis. Brendan Gleason. Liam Neeson. Uh, Mike. Mike. Gangs of New York. Gangs of New there York is. is correct. Yeah. And with that, Mike, you end up in second place. Aaron, you're in first place. Marcus, here's a hug. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I did it. <laughs> these, these, I think they were just invented to humiliate me. <laughs> I'm gonna, next time, Mike, or next time, uh, Marcus comes out, I'm going to make a game that he's going to win. To be fair, Marcus, you got on the board and you did you did shout your name a couple times, like you didn't know the answers. You got on the board pretty early, by the way. So. Thank you. Thank you for making me feel better. Marks, I don't you know. the second answer. You're the Dallas best, Buyers Mark. Club. Yeah, I got Dallas Buyers Club. Let's move on. Hey, Marcus. Games. Marcus. <laughs> hey, Marcus. Yeah. You're crushing it. Thank you. Oh, thank the you. <laughs> let's, uh, let's... <laughs> <laughs> Let's. I'm gonna race through these things. Out now, out yes. now. These movies that are gone Blu-ray and DVD this week. First up, King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. Box office bomb, right, Marcus? My favorite movie of the year. <laughs> Next up, Your Name. Abe, you loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Japanese anime. I loved it. Snatched with Goldie Hawn and Amy Schumer. Sure. Diary of a Wimpy Kid: The Long Haul. Whatever. Sure. The Exception. I saw this movie as Jai Courtney. It's not very good. Uh, the Dinner with Richard Gere. No yeah, Okay. The Hunter's Prayer with Sam Worthington. I watched this movie. It's a direct-to-video one that I'm reviewing this week. It's it's okay. <laughs> okay. Kung Fu Yoga with Jackie Chan. Sure. Why not? On Criterion, The Breaking Point. It's a good sure. one. It's another one. Um, let's see. On Shout Factory this week, Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2. Wait, as a two-pack? No, they're they're different. They're just both out this week. Oh, okay, gotcha. You can't get that sweet sweet Teen Wolf two without buying another <laughs> Teen Wolf. Uh, let's see, that movie is. I only want. Teen Wolf. We don't have time for this, but I the, Teen Wolf two is a terrible thing. <laughs> um, okay. Everyone uh, loves Jason. I don't want Teen Wolf one, and I just want. 
you, you can get just Teen Wolf, or you can just get Teen Wolf 2. Regardless, Blind Spot Season 2, uh, Freebie sure. Freebie and the Bean, Blu-ray debut, and uh, Bowfinger makes his Blu-ray debut this week. I like Bowfinger. Oh, interesting. It's like one of the last okay. times Eddie Murphy was great in a movie. Oh. That feels kind of late. Yeah, well, better late than never, right? Uh, that's extremely cool. Next that's up, rain. Next up, extremely cool. These things are now on Netflix. First up, Wet Hot American Summer, 10 years later. I'm very excited to See watch it. this. I love Wet Hot American Summer. I really love the prequel series 10 years earlier last year. Earlier, yeah. Uh, and the 10 years later, I can't, I'm all about watching. Um, and I think they, they replaced Bradley Cooper with Adam Scott, which makes me laugh already. Um, anyway, <laughs> also up, Sing, the 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 uh the um you said it wasn't bad illuminate the one illumination film i re- i mean i, I liked despicable me three kind of okay sing I, I enjoyed i thought that was pretty good okay so yeah um and a documentary called icarus is now on netflix that's about uh doping in sports which i've heard good things mm, okay i thought that was about some guy who flew too close to the sun uh just the bikers that wanted to <laughs> get where they needed to go like. <laughs> okay yeah is that about russian doping or is it a russian documentary about Russian doping. I what believe am I it's saying? a documentary about the, the Russian doping. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I knew uh, Russia was in there somewhere, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next week's show. Next week, I think we're going to talk about Annabelle Creation. I'm not quite I sure. I think so, too. We'll, might change, but we'll, we'll keep change, you up Yeah. Because, honestly, I'm not sure when I'm going to see it. So, <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> On a Friday, like a lot of people. Yeah, we'll see. It. Oh, yeah, maybe we'll just do a grab yeah. bag of things we've seen, including Annabelle Creation. True that. We'll see. True that. We'll see for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so last thing we do here, what should people go and see in theaters right now, and what do you plan to see next? Marcus Robinson, what should people see in theaters right now? Detroit and, of course, Annabelle Creation. What do you see next? No, Annabelle Creation, of oh, course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you meant you were, oh, so I, thought you meant, right I that people should see Detroit and line up for Annabelle Creation afterwards to see that next. <laughs> yes. Okay. Exactly. Mike Dillon. It's rated all. Mike Dillon, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, <laughs> is War for the Planet of the Apes still out? I like that. Yeah, it's out. Yeah, it's still out. All right. I mean, go see it again. <laughs> what you, Even though apparently the title is all wrong. I... <laughs> It, the first one should have been called Rise. Or, sorry, Dawn. The second one should have been called Dawn. War, and the third one should have been called Rise. It makes way right. more sense. Uh, what, what are you seeing next? Uh, I don't even know what's coming out. What's 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 coming out? Annabelle, Last <laughs> Castle, Job 2, Ingrid Logan, Goes West, Logan Good Time. Lucky. I'm interested in Ingrid Goes West, um, but for your listeners i'm just gonna go recommend that they all go see the hitman's bodyguard of course okay oh there you go i am seeing that this week uh, and, and then if you don't like it blame it on aaron and abe don't blame it on me <laughs> i don't think it looks very good but that's just me going on uh a or yeah abe what 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 up, what up? go see valerian and i'm gonna see uh either glass castle or anybody creation next yeah I, I i've had all the d's detroit delarian dunkirk the dig sick and davy driver um, I think Delarian? All the, yeah, mm. yeah, all the D's. Um, yeah. See all those right now. Um, th- those are all things that I would recommend seeing. And, I like that. And yeah, I'm seeing Soderbergh's uh, Logan Lucky next. And I'm seeing Glass Castle. You I got a busy dog. week. I got a busy week. Um, but yeah, with all that, you can, that's going to do it for this lengthy episode about now. Yeah. Abe. You can find more of my work, my personal blog, the code is Zeke.com. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe. You can find more fun stuff over at Oakley Doakley Instagram and Twitter.com slash Wallersmoose. Hashtag John Boyega save the block. Is that still the only thing you want to plug? 
Are we still there? We're waiting. We're waiting on one more episode. Really? I mean, you're, you're, you're on iTunes. I mean, like, what else? We is are. There? I, there's one more that I want to. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. All right, Mike Dillon. Which? Wh- where can people find more of your work? Oh, you can't find me. I'm. Uh, I'm not good at stuff. I know. I just wanted to see what your answer would be to that question. Marcus Robinson, where can people find more of your work online? Oh, man, I need to do that. Okay, uh, at Movies Marcus, Twitter, and MoviesMarcus.com. Great. You can find all the other episodes about Now There and Abe over on iTunes as well as on Audioboom. Listen over at HHWD, SoundCloud, and Podomatic. Uh, feel free to email us your thoughts on Detroit, which we'd really like to get. If you saw Detroit and have thoughts on it, we'd really like to hear those emails. Email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com. Send us messages over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or tweet us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And send us plenty of gifts of <laughs> of John Boyega making awesome faces in Star Wars movies at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, Mike, Marcus, it's been an experience talking with you this evening about it Detroit. It has been a good discussion. Thank a you both for being here. pleasurable experience. I had fun. I'm not sweating yeah, because I, I hated it. <laughs> you know, we we started a conversation. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> exactly. Just like John Legend started a fire. It's a lot. Started just. It's a lot of land. This was valuable, guys. Thank you. No, Thank I, you I, guys. I, I very much appreciated our discussion. Um, but yeah, and I yeah. hope we have more great discussions on future episodes, um, including Annabelle Creation, of course. But until next time, that's going to do it for this week. So until then, so long. And goodbye. And his parents come home at one point to their apartment and they find McConaughey in there like cooking dinner, wearing an apron. And I'm like, this should be like hilarious. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, all right. That's quirky, I guess. Like, it's not it doesn't like inspire any idea. <laughs> it's just like it just it just falls flat. Did he actually serve them the dinner? No, he served. Well, he's just no, like, it's like, oh, yeah, he's like he's cooking chicken for no reason. Yeah, he just says we don't have chicken in my world. Like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs>